Uh, is this thing on? Can you hear me? Welcome to the Gravity Lift Podcast, a mostly entertaining and at times informative place where we get to chat about all the things we love. Music and festival life, yoga and wellness, travel and adventure. We are your hosts, Jordan and Antonella. So our guest today was Will Hyde, who was a homie that I know through the music industry, and he also works for Leafly. And so we brought him on the podcast as part of this special April 420-centric series that we have going on. So Antonella, how'd you, uh, how'd you like that episode? It was great. I don't think I've ever had an actual conversation with him other than setting all this up via Facebook Messenger. So it was nice to connect with him and hear about his wife and travel a little bit about travel. I wish we had talked about that more. We're going to have to have him on again. I There's took so him, much to I took talk him down about. the weed route. And yeah, you that's wanted, fine. We didn't get enough into his uh, personal life like we usually do on the podcast, but I think I think we got some good personal opinions out of him in, in some of the weed realm. I think his passions for the plant medicine and for the culture just speaks to who he is as a person. So I, I do feel like I still got to know him a lot, which was great. But like I said, he's one of those guests I could have on time and time again. So we'll just have to make that happen. Yeah, I had heard him on a different podcast and that could just see his brain ticking and heard the beautiful responses he gave to stuff and was just really impressed by that right off the bat. So then I was really excited to have him on the podcast here and he did the exact same thing, just kind of hit a bunch of the the right things. His brain seemed to be going exactly where mine was going and kind of loved how this whole podcast turned out. I'm really excited to actually re-listen to it. You never re-listen. I know. Oh, I'm good. totally going to re-listen to this one because I loved that. You should make your way through all of them. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. All right. Blue's ready to go. <laughs> Roll it. All right. Yeah. So you're doing content then. You, it's tough for you to listen to a podcast because you're writing things. And so when you're writing things, that's mostly because you are a content producer for Leafly, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm, yeah. And that means I'm, I'm writing content. I'm developing like media content, everything from... Um, you know, helping with photo shoots and video shoots and all of that um, sort of in our whole suite of media that Leafly offers. Yeah. And so you started doing a lot of video stuff, correct? Yeah, I actually got my start in video. I went to L.A. Film School in the early 2000s and was working in the film industry post-production exclusively for a good like six years before um, the recession kind of sucked the life out of that industry, especially <laughs> as someone who was like young and just trying to get their start in it at that time. And um, so I moved back home to Seattle and went to business school. And, you know, all that time I've, I've been involved with cannabis and working in medical cannabis um, while I was in school and while I was working as like a side job and just because it's something I'm passionate about. And then after getting out of business school and looking for both sort of media jobs um, uh, as well as seeing the opportunity with legal cannabis as it was sort of just coming to fruition in Seattle and Washington, I sort of decided, okay, I need something where I can merge both of these worlds. And Leafly was sort of that perfect landing spot for me. Yeah. I want to, I want to break down a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that's a great high level thing to start with. Um, the reason I want to break it down is because I was in the Bay Area in 2007 through 2011. And so a little bit after you, okay. but um, I went to college down there. And so I 
found I got my medical card in 2008 and so I was down there like commuting from the Bay Area well Santa Clara so like um just outside like what yeah so San Jose area and then for sure that was before they had Harborside in San Jose and so I was dipping to Oakland regularly to pick up um because Harborside was like this crazy new thing where you could walk in a door right. and you could just like look at all these strains and be like, I want to try that. And behind you is like, they're, they have plants that you can purchase. And like, I did an acupuncture session with someone for free. Like they were just offering free acupuncture <laughs> yeah. at Harborside. Yeah. Especially, uh, in the sort of the heyday of medical, they would offer you full on, like some of them were full on spas and like wellness retreats. Wow. Um, it was really cool and there was different vibes, you know, so you could yeah. find a, a dispensary that sort of matched your ethos, which was is cool. Is that still a thing? I want to go I mean, get it, a massage. It is, and... it is to a degree <laughs> um, in some places, um, but legal cannabis, adult use cannabis starts to complicate things because there's sort of a separation between it and just about everything else. Yeah, we've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> we want to incorporate it in more things that we do, retreats it, and outings. It can make and, it difficult. Yeah, we've, we've heard, unfortunately. We had grand ideas and got shut down on a few of them. Yeah, it's getting better, and mm-hmm. I'm hopeful it's getting better quickly, but yeah. um, we're not quite there yet. Baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, baby steps. There's been a, a lot of giant leaps in the industry, which has been crazy to watch things open up. But I was I was very much in a, a similar boat going through school. I was like, do I go be a bud tender? I was like, that would be such a cool job. And I my mom just vehemently being like, absolutely not. Like, she hated that I smoked weed. Like, it was the worst thing ever that I could do. Uh, and so that was definitely, like, not a possibility but if you think about it like as a as like a college student where you just have to work some part-time job you know customer service service industry like why not Mm -hmm. but tend like enjoy going to work get a little college discount on your herb (laughs) like all of those are good things for someone in that range of, of age and maturity. My daughter cannot wait until she's 21 <laughs> and can go work at one of those shops. Uh, how do your parents feel about that path? Uh, you know, I've been so aligned with cannabis for so long that they're, they're totally not only accepting and supportive of, of me in general, but they honestly are, are excited at all the opportunity that's ahead in this mm-hmm. space now that it's becoming legitimate. So you know, it went from something they, they never wanted to bring up or talk about. <laughs> and now we don't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it makes it fun. It breaks down some of those like parent um, child constructs a little bit. So you just get to like know your parent as a person, which is really cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like the first time you get to like drink with your parents. Mm-hmm. Or when you finally turn 21, you get to go to a bar with your dad. Like, it's not like it's really this, like, eye-opening, revelatory, like, whoa. But it's just kind of like, hey, cool. I get to connect to you as a human being Mm -hmm. and be like, what's up? We're both adults now. We can communicate as adults. I was at our neighborhood shop just the other day, and the two ladies in front of me were bougie e-siders, but they were (laughs) easily in their early 70s. And it was just awesome to see them in there i know it's shopping. so crazy there's shopping especially now there's you know 
any type of person mm-hmm. <laughs> you can imagine is walking into a dispensary to purchase cannabis. And it's really cool if you go there, you know, at five o'clock on a Friday when they're really busy, you will literally see any type of person you could imagine all ages, all walks of life, all types of jobs, blue collar, white collar, anything in between. Like it's really cool because that is what I love about cannabis is it brings people together and it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate against who you are or where you are. Um, some of the laws do, but it doesn't. Um, (laughs) and it's really a, a great tool for, for bringing people together whether you're similar or or very different Mm -hmm. that's always funny hearing stories of my friends being like so i was at the dispensary and i saw so-and-so's dad (laughs) 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 or i said hi to their mom and you're like yep that's the world we live in and so there's so many pros to it um i guess without delving down that rabbit hole too deep uh we kind of touched on it is it are you I guess obviously in some ways you're definitely pro the full legalization of marijuana, but are there, are there any specific areas that you kind of like wish things had gone differently when they were medicinal versus getting switched over to this legal gray area? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we, we fumbled quite a bit like across the board in just about every legal state or region you can think of um, as far as maintaining a lot of the compassion that was inherent in medical cannabis dispensaries and clubs, you know, they were formed as collectives as, as, uh, ways for patients to have better buying power and to source their medicine together, um, you know, to help spread some of the risk at that time. And, um, that's gone. It's, it's transactional now, um, which has its benefits and is, is sort of a necessary evil, if you will, but it's capitalism at work. Right. That's, that's our economy. Right. Yeah. And you know, growing up, I was always like, yeah, one day legal weed, right? Yeah. Legal weed. Here it is. And here it is. <laughs> um, so I'm not complaining by any stretch, but yeah. we definitely have a lot of room to improve. And I think, you know, it's, it's the, the biggest area we have to improve is that marginalized communities, communities of color that have been traditionally arrested at much higher rates for simple cannabis possession and drug possession charges. Um, they're continuously being trampled on while you see governments and, and people of other classes and races, namely white upper class people being able to capitalize off this while one state away, there's still people being arrested for the exact same thing. Yeah, it's like I remember uh, when it was first like about to all be figured out legalization, I had a co-worker and he was like, yeah, my dad is retiring from Alaska Airlines as a pilot for like 25 years and he's taking his entire life savings and putting it into buying a bunch of warehouses to grow weed. <laughs> so it's like you literally just have a bunch of privileged white men who are then (laughs) buying up these like big organizations so they can grow a ton of it and make a bunch more money off of it so yeah and now you're like in canada you're seeing full-on corporations investing you know um coronas and and all the anheuser bushes and and everything like big cannabis is a thing and it's it's well on its way um i think we still have the opportunity to harness that and use it for a lot of good. And so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic there, but um, yeah, I mean, are there any big companies that you would like to see take that front? You mean like to step up sort of and, and lead the charge? Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) 
It's a tough question. That is Curious. a tough. I mean, that is a tough question. <laughs> Elon I mean, Musk with Tesla. I know there's some companies <laughs> I would like. To, there's some companies that I would like to not see take advantage of that. So in, I would like. I don't know. We use this podcast in a lot of ways to manifest the things that we want to happen. So yeah, it's easy to throw out the names of the W words and other. Um, companies that i don't necessarily align with that seem to capitalize a lot because they have a lot of money but are there i'm wondering if there's any yeah i mean teslas of the world that you would like to see honestly if elon musk wants to grow some weed on mars like more power to him (laughs) you can figure it out man go for it i'll smoke that weed with you um but actual space weed i mean the thing is is there's a lot of really great companies that are foundational in the cannabis industry that Mm -hmm. are doing really amazing things and have been for a really long time and have taken a lot of risks to do those things. So I'm more interested in seeing the industry elevate those people and support those people in the smaller farms. Um, But I do think there's lots of opportunity for collaboration and Mm -hmm. co-branding, you know, and I'm sure eventual mergers and acquisitions and all of that will come. But right now I'd like to see some, of the foundational brands really be able to plant their flag and help lead the charge of like what a uh, proper or appropriately functioning cannabis industry could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think the people that are the most scared cause they have the most to lose is the alcohol industry. And so the alcohol industry is yeah. doing as much as they can right now to get into that industry because they know it's an untapped market and they have the finances to do it and it could cripple their business. Yeah, I, I think Big Pharma might be a little more frightened, um, uh, but... But Big mm-hmm. Pharma's been frightened since the beginning. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the huge reason it never got to where it got. And so I definitely agree with that. You're right. But it, it almost seems like they're kind of creating their own synergistic ways around that. And They are. They're sort of skirting the law, trying to get some patents and things in place so that by the time full-scale legalization hits, they can just sort of flip the switch and be like, hey, we're over here now. Uh, but <laughs> Stronger fentanyl. Yeah. <laughs> Cannabis derived, whatever. <laughs> yeah. We were a part of this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any local companies that you really like and that oh you Oh my recommend? gosh, so many. Ooh, I want to hear. Yeah, so many. I mean, it really depends on what how you interact with cannabis because there's so many ways to consume it or sort of incorporate it in your life depending on what you do and how you do it. Um, But I mean, as far as just like growing flower goes, I love House of Cultivar. They're a local Seattle uh, indoor cannabis farm. There's uh, Royal Tree Gardens down in Tacoma that does really great things. Um, As far as like extracts and stuff go, I love Cold Smoke. Um, they're out of Mm. Bellingham, I believe, Whatcom County and then oleum extracts out of Auburn. They are also like two of my favorite, uh, hydrocarbon extractors in the state. Um, and then, you know, you're starting to see a lot of really great, um, solventless hash, which is what I'm really all about and really passionate. Like rosin. Yeah. Rosin, ice water hash, um, six star ice wax, some of that stuff. Um, and you know, Constellation Cannabis is putting out some really nice hash rosin and uh, Treehawk Farms over um, across the ferry ride is um, they have great flour as well, but they're also doing a lot of solventless extraction on site. That's pretty cool. Nice. nice. I've got uh, a buddy who is uh, right now, I think he works with uh, Emerald City Cultivation. Oh, yeah. Um, so he said, so you know, been following him for years on the whole process and uh, without, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I'm getting too much, but we're trying to, 
possibly make this as part of like a an April episode. Oh, nice. Where we're doing like a whole 420 month of April with Sweet. some like weed centered people. Yeah, because uh, we, we have a few. We had a buddy already that we did. Um, and we'll see if it, you know, plays before this or after this. But uh, who works with Olio? Have you ever heard of Olio? Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, my friend Riley works on their marketing team. Oh, we've met S- Riley. Yeah. yeah. So Skylar is the CEO. And so we had Skylar on the podcast um, to talk about a lot of you know, their extraction process of pure CBD products. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, my, my story with Corbin, actually, this guy that works at Emerald City, he, uh, or I was down at school in California and I was flying home for a Thanksgiving and we had our first annual Thanksgiving <laughs> where we just put weed in everything. Oh yeah. And, I've had a few. <laughs> yeah. And so we've had, we've had one every single year now since then, which has been crazy. Um, and so I brought home some just like, I don't know if it was like scissor hash or something and then some other sort of thing to throw on top. And I could fly out of California because I had my card, but once I was in Washington, I couldn't fly back out. <laughs> and so I just left it with him. And the next thing I know, like a year later, this dude's like deep in the world <laughs> of like all things oils and started like blowing out his own stuff and he's he has worked for medical and then now he switched over to working for Emerald City and he's got a bunch of stuff and it's always crazy like looking at his Instagram it reminds me of your avid dabber yeah. Instagram and he's like he went through the whole like mothership phase and yep. had, he had he had like a $65,000 mothership I know people have spent some ridiculous uh, amounts of money on glass and then but he's like made like so much profit off of reselling those oh glass. there's a huge second and even third hand glass market yeah. um, it's absurd but so like watching him grow has kept me super interested um in kind of how all that goes and then I noticed you do a lot of that stuff now are you like have you so when you're saying you're toying with your own rosins and stuff, are you making that yourself? Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, you're just I, using a press, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Heat nice. and a lot of, or a, a, a little bit of pressure. I remember when <laughs> Sometimes he was, a lot. He was using like a, like a hair straightener, hair straightener for a little yeah. while. Oh yeah, you can, you can, it like, it's a really simple process. Yeah. Like all it, it really just needs a little bit of heat, hot enough to like get, get the oils flowing, but yeah. not hot enough to start vaporizing them. And then you just squeeze and, you know, you can do it with your hands pressing on a a rosin (laughs) or on a hair straightener, or you can do it with a clamp or you can, you know, level up into bigger and bigger presses, industrial presses with all sorts of heat plates and stuff. Hair straightener has a temperature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gauge, so yeah, that's he just helpful. got rid of his own press because he now works for a company. He's like in charge of all of the the press. Um, what was the other one you said? It was like crystal. No, ice ice, ice water hash. Ice water hash. Yeah. yeah. So what's that? Uh, bubble hash. Okay. So the it's it's just a solventless hash technique where you use cold temperatures, ice water, um, and you it it makes the cannabis very, very cold and the trichome heads brittle so that when you uh, agitate them, you stir it around or they actually make it in a, in like big uh, washing machines essentially. And so as it agitates, it separates from the plant and then you filter all that water through different uh, screened bags and get different grades of hash. So that's why he's using dry ice all the time in his <laughs> Snapchat videos. <laughs> yeah. And people look sick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and dry ice you can also use without the water. And it, it just, you know, it makes it so brittle that you can basically keep a whole lot of weed really, really fast. Yeah. Excuse me. Nice. Do you have a favorite ingestion 
I like to dab. dab. Dabbing yeah. is my favorite for a number of reasons. One, it's the most efficient and the most effective way to consume. Two, it's sort of the most flavorful way to consume. And also, as someone who has a fair tolerance for cannabis, I can take like a single dab and get to where I want instead of needing to smoke a couple bowls or constantly be smoking joints. And do you, um, s- do you still smoke joints and I do. I mean, I, I love flour, you know, cool. it, it all comes down to the flour like that. That's what all this is. And to me, the best concentrates are just expressions of that flour. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. There's a time and a place for it. And I think flour is very good for social settings, rolling up a joint and mm-hmm. sharing it with someone or even passing around a bong is like very sort of ritualistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, traditional. That's how I grew up smoking. You know, right. we were passing bongs and loading pipes and rolling blunts and joints. And so, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll enjoy it all. Although I say I, I smoke considerably less flour now than I ever have. Yeah, it's interesting because my friends have almost like in some ways turned it into this like cult thing of like we dab Mm -hmm. and dabbing became just this like phenom out of nowhere that like like when I was first at Harborside, I'll get into it in a little bit of like my health issues um, with my lungs. But she was like, why don't you try this oil? And she literally sold me a crack pipe (laughs) and I put the oil in the crack pipe and heated it up just like you would smoke crack because it was like trying to get that dab without having the excess flour or whatever carcinogens that were coming with it. And so early on, it was all these things about we're using like an aluminum plate, which obviously is the dumbest thing ever now when you think about it, when you know the science behind it. But oh, the yeah. first dab I ever took was like off this aluminum plate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first dab I ever took was was thankfully at least off titanium, although I couldn't tell you what, been what grade of titanium because yeah. there's some questionable titanium yeah. out there. Was it a and nail? It was, it, was a, it was a skillet. Okay. Did you ever see a skillet? No. It was like a little bell that has a little titanium swing. Oh arm. yeah. That's, that's what it's what it was. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you would hit it just absolutely red hot. Oh which yeah. Red hot titaniums like easily over a thousand degrees. Yeah. Oh, geez. Which you just zero flavor. Oh, Cause you zero. want, you want, you want low temperature and the sweating and dying just, <laughs> just to get high. And then, Oh yeah. Did you get really high? Yeah. 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 And everyone was know, like, I'm never doing a dab again. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and so now when I tell people, Oh Yeah avid dabber i like to dab they're like wow how do you do that and yeah. i'm like oh, it's it's totally different than what you're imagining like yeah this is more like sipping a really really fine whiskey uh-huh. than it is like slamming a bunch of malt liquor <laughs> yeah you're heating up your nail you're waiting for it to cool down for a full minute well and now it. and now with with technology like the puffco peak i mean you're you're literally like it's a device, you know? Oh. So is it like a, like almost like a vaporizer then? Yeah, it is. It's, it's essentially it's so an, an electronic dab rig. <laughs> it's very cute and portable. And I there's, there's I a number of, in there. yeah, there's a number of different, um, tools and, and vaporizers and e-rigs and e-nails that are sort of making dabbing yeah. way more accessible. And I think that's important because this is a, a really, really good way to consume cannabis. And that's because of its efficiency and your ability to dose, whether it's a very small dose or if you are a medical patient and you require very high doses, then that's still an option. Um, and it just, it, it, you know, I could, I could hand this to my mom and she would not be 
disturbed by it. It yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't turn you her bust off. out a blowtorch, turn it on, yeah, and start heating exactly. up a metal nail, and people are like, "Whoa, exactly, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly." And don't get me wrong, like I still at home, I still love my torch and my banger. Like yeah. that's sort of the the ritual of dabbing. Uh-huh. Um, but that's like that's not a great introduction for anyone who's who's never been comfortable with cannabis to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just need someone who knows how to dose me the literally smallest amount possible because yeah, I mean, I'm such a Corbs and Jean can always hook you up easy. I mean, <laughs> I we've done know. it. We've... The times I've done it with them, I was stuck on a couch attempting to understand. That <laughs> what was that space movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey? Uh, Interstellar. So good. Yeah. A lot I, of people. I have to rewatch that movie because I was like, <laughs> I can't. I don't know what. Yeah. She's also that. just a lightweight in general. So. Yeah. Lightweight. Well, and a lot of people, you know, sort of treat dabbing like a rite of passage. Like they sort of <laughs> want. They, want to, they sort you. of want to to put you through the ringer for your yeah. first one, um, which I don't fully agree with. Like if it's if it's your friends, sure, but like. If you're actually to like trying to introduce someone to dabbing into cannabis and like show them that this is an op- option for them as far as consuming goes, then like there's a much much better approach. Yeah. Well, that's where dabbing almost became like a cult, like I said, or or like a fraternity where they're gonna like haze you and yeah. it's just like you got to be in the know to be a dabber. And oh, there is you want to do a dab culture. You want to do a gram dab real quick, like all these like diamond challenges. Like, well, I guess diamonds weren't a thing back then, but now no, but now, now they're <laughs> everywhere. That's part of the culture. Yeah, and it's, so it's it's really awesome watching the culture evolve, and like I'm obsessed with it. Like I've been a obsessed with marijuana since i was like 16 years old yep and ever since my first introduction yeah it's been like i i've i've never been one of those person i've one of those people who like heard marijuana or cannabis and was like taken aback by it i was always interested Mm -hmm. and sort of intrigued and i never really especially as like an adolescent i didn't understand it because it was it was around you know in in the orbit at least. Um, and yet it was so taboo. Um, but people would talk about it and they wouldn't talk about hard drugs and things like that, but they'd they'd mention this here and there and like going to Amsterdam when I was eight, like (laughs) smelling it on the street and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just, you went to Amsterdam when you were eight. Yeah. I was actually, I want to hear this. So I traveled um, to Africa when I was, I, I think I was eight. I might have just turned nine. Um, we went to Kenya and Tanzania and flew in and out of Amsterdam. And on, I want to say the way back, we stopped in Amsterdam. For so a, is that for like a, a typical family vacation for you guys? Um, growing up, <laughs> growing up. Tra- I love it. I think it's amazing. Travel take was our kid super to- important That's to my family. Fantastic. My grandmother was a travel agent oh, and... Nice. Um, her and my grandpa made certain to travel with the family as much as possible. And they've really instilled that in all, all of my family members. My mom's the same way. My sister's the same way. Um, me and my wife try to travel as much as we possibly can. Um, that's one thing I love about cannabis is it allows me to travel to different places and, and interact with with cannabis culture, but also amongst different cultures. So we haven't interacted with cannabis culture outside of the U S at all. Is there any top countries that you're like this? I mean, obviously Amsterdam, but anywhere else that isn't as obvious. Um, I mean, 
Canada's That's always been really say. fun. Um, mm-hmm. Mexico, I think, is going to be fantastic as things start to move really, really quickly down there. Um, you know, um, I think it can do some really great 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 things for economies in places like jamaica yeah um and caribbean islands and stuff that have traditionally like associated or or had cultural ties to cannabis and stuff um so i mean those places but the beauty of cannabis is is it grows almost anywhere um different cultures and have incorporated it differently throughout the ages so like Mm -hmm. um it's been suppressed for so long that there's not a whole lot of the world that openly embraces it quite yet. Um, but I think, you know, South America is is bound to embrace it as as more of that comes along down yeah, there. Yeah, I can see, like, Peru and stuff. They got their it. cocoa yeah. leaves. So, they do. So I, I get it, but, like, that's where that, like, cultural tie in Jamaica is to that. But, like, in Peru, the cocoa leaves are, like, their spirit. And the Aya, yeah. Yeah, they are, like... A yeah, but their native cultures are also very in tune with, like, plant medicine in general. Mm-hmm. And, For sure. And not to say that it's going to overtake it as, like, a prime export in places like Colombia or Peru or something, yeah. but mm-hmm. but I think, um, one, it, it would give farmers in those regions maybe a, another viable alternative to fantastic. the cocaine trade that has yeah. been, you know, obviously pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, you know, who knows, but... But yeah, I think that's sort of the beauty. Amsterdam, though, is like any any true cannabis consumer needs to go. I want to go because so it's just like it's not even. I don't know. It's like it's like going to a frat party when you're in college. Not in the the attitude, but it's like just sort of that experience. Everyone needs to to sort of walk through that door once, you know. Yeah. Um, Amsterdam is much better than a frat party. I was going to say that's not what I pictured at all. <laughs> no, okay. I just mean it's it's that one ex- it's that yeah. one experience yeah. that like we've all had to have at one point, you mm-hmm. know. And so, if you love cannabis, you got to go there. First off, the Dutch are so friendly and awesome people. Like their culture is just so friendly and fun, and they enjoy life, and it is just a, a solid pace and everything um so they're sort of great hosts Mm -hmm. um and it's very similar to seattle like it's it's sort of gray and rainy and everyone goes to the cafe and smokes some weed and has a coffee and yeah you know nibbles a little food and then rides their bike to the next spot for sure like i know amsterdam's big on our thing but one of the things i kind of wanted to talk about too is i always had this idea that i thought would be fantastic and it sounds like some people are trying to implement it but you have these coffee shops where people go and smoke weed i was like how can you set up a facility where people can just go and rent a bong as if it were a hookah put a deposit on it and then be able to just smoke different types just as if you were a bud tender behind the counter sampling the product to make Mm -hmm. sure you can talk about it and all your different points like is that feasible is it yeah yeah not only is it feasible it's necessary social use is sort of the the next frontier of of cannabis reform and and figuring out what legalization actually looks like because right now especially in places like washington you can purchase it but unless you're a homeowner you don't really have a safe legal place to consume it. You can't go to a park if you're renting, you know, maybe if your landlord's cool, but even then a lot of the leases stipulate and insurance stipulates against things like having it or smoking it or, or being Mm. inside to smoke it. And yet you can't smoke it outside. So, um, social use is necessary. I mean, could you imagine, um, 
an alcohol industry without bars, without right. the ability to go somewhere, have a drink, socialize, be responsible, take care of, you know, yourself and getting yourself home and all of that. Um, imagine if you took that away and how much just drunkenness would be on the street mm -hmm. and, and everywhere else. Um, do you know if there's a legal barrier to that? So there is right now. So, so social use is allowed in places like California. Um, I believe in, Canada, there are some okay. laws in place. So there are vapor lounges and, and social use clubs in a lot of other places. I think there's even one in Portland. Um, I know Denver's been working hmm. at actually licensing businesses so that you can have a social aspect, whether they're a restaurant or like a comedy club or, or any of those places. I would love a music venue to have yeah. that as an option. I mean, even just the clubs we go to in Seattle, it would be, we just really don't drink, especially since we live on the East side and we have to deal with attempting to get home. I'm the same way. It would be great to not have to go out to the car and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. And also not feel like you have to like sneak something in yeah, or like exactly. be shady about it. Like, can I just like smoke a joint and then enjoy the show or whatever? Right. Um, yeah. So, so I know the city of Seattle, like they want social use. They've, they've been behind it since the medical days, even for that very reason, but it's the state, it's the state level, um, mm. that has made things difficult. Um, I think we're going to start to see more and more push for that over the next couple of years. Um, it's being talked about more and more and more. So as it picks up steam, it'll become sort of the hottest topic in Washington right now. The hottest topic, at least sort of um, from my view of the legislator, is home grow. And if you're going to be able to grow cannabis at home, which has been proposed a few times in this state and hasn't had much luck. So for right now, if I were to go buy a plant, I couldn't just grow it legally in my house. Yeah, and you couldn't even go buy a plant. Um, only medical patients could purchase seeds or clones. And okay. very few, if any, um, medically licensed adult use dispensaries in Washington sell yeah. clones or seeds. Yeah, that's what's been so interesting about watching it change because it was like, oh, as a medical patient, this is great. And then it was like, well, why am I paying into this medical patient thing if I can just get it for free? So it's not worth it. And then you're like, well, wait. <laughs> but then there's taxes and everything got complicated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you have any questions there, babe? You okay. mean from, yeah, yeah, I've been checking. Okay. Them, but I'm waiting till they build a little uh, more. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that question and answer later. Um, so I heard you on that, what was it, the Mind? Mind Pump. Mind Pump. Um, I heard you on that podcast and you answered a bunch of stuff and that's what kind of got me interested in the first place. Nice. To, so I was like, oh shit, like I need to talk to you about stuff. Um, you were just talking about health things and different people attempting to try vaporizers or edibles in different ways mm -hmm. and dosing themselves. Um so I started, like I said, and I'm in love with cannabis culture. Like I smoked weed every single day, pretty much through all of college and graduated with like a three, six from a good <laughs> business school in California. So it's like weed works for me. Like it makes my brain function faster. I'm like, with you. like life is good when I'm high. And then during my, the end of my sophomore year into my junior year, I started experiencing lung issues and tons of coughing. And I mean, I've got friends, like I said, my homies who dab all day, every day, multiple dab rigs, as infinite amount of oil as you could ever <laughs> want when you walk into their house, just drawers full of oil. Like they obviously cough, like, you know, they've got their own hack that goes with, that, <laughs> with the dabbing world for sure. 
but mine was this next level. Like I got an asthma inhaler. Um, I was up at night, unable to sleep. And I, my doctor essentially said I had walking pneumonia and I, any time. When was this? What year? Uh, 2009 or 2010 was when it kind of got bad. 2011. It was like awful. Um, were you dabbing a lot? No, I was not dabbing. I was you were smoking at, flour. Yeah. Yep. So I just had 2015 a. 2015 was awful too. You no, know, I'll get there. Oh, okay. I was like, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, so I was. Uh, so yeah. So I just I had a nice bong that I had from here in Seattle. Um, there, and I never even know if I should go into that stuff. Like I used to use ice all the time, and the paranoia in me is like, did ice somehow because like the added vapor that was in it somehow affect my lungs? Have you had any experience with that? Not with like. It no. seems like I should just be like, oh, it cools it down. Yeah. It just cools down the hit. It shouldn't no, be No, I mean, I guess if if there's a lot of condensation or something, you might get like liquid in your lungs, yeah, but, but I think that's pretty far-fetched. For sure. For sure. Uh, so it was just really one of those I kept smoking and it just kept getting worse and worse um, to the point that I like couldn't breathe. I was using a rescue inhaler. You're supposed to use it like a max of four times a day for like horrible like asthma attacks. And I was using it four times a day for like six months, like unable to breathe. It was just ridiculous. Wild. And I was just like, I have. And that was like just in general or every time you smoked that happened? It was just in general. Um, and because I was still smoking somewhat regularly and would like try to limit it in different ways and whatnot. Um, and then there's always the the excuse of like, oh, do edibles. But edibles are an eight-hour journey down yeah, the rabbit it's hole. Yeah, it's a whole nother commitment. <laughs> um, and so, like, I came home, and then a lot of my buddies were just getting into dabbing. And so they're like, we'll try dabbing. Like, you get just as high in one hit as you could if you took, like, four hits or four snaps or something mm-hmm. like that. So, like, just go for it. And so I would dab, but it would be, like, just as bad. And I just kind of, like, pushed Hot my- dabs? I, th- I think they were definitely more on the warm side probably because um, I think everyone did until yeah. about four years ago yeah. people started to realize like oh shit we should probably let these cool down <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah once they started getting like nice rigs and then they were like oh wait we actually are doing this legitimately um, but yeah it just it kept going bad and I just like had to stop and so I would just slow down to where I would just smoke like once every two weeks or once a month which is where I'm at now um, but I was doing it like every two weeks, kind of maybe once a month, taking a few dabs with my friends, but it was real hard to like slow myself down after like three years of smoking all yeah, the time for sure. And to be forced to, which was tough. And then, uh, her and I went on a trip, uh, to go teach yoga over in Eastern Washington and the, a few days before I had smoked with my buddies and smoked out of like that rig that I was talking about. That's just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And you're like scared to touch it. Cause yeah. if it breaks, like that's more. You do th- it for me. I'm not yeah, touching that. Yeah. And so, um, I smoked out of that and I think I took like two hits or something like that. So it wasn't like anything crazy. Like they were cool at that time. Like it wasn't like they were hot dabs and, um, I ended up in the ER like Damn. having a full on attack, like rescue inhaler stopped working, had a full on nebulizer. Like it was the middle of the night. He was like, <laughs> quote unquote, sleeping. But I was laying next to him with like my eyes wide open, like, oh, my God, he just keeps like he, he would just stop breathing. And then all of a sudden he would just be hacking again. He was just trying to sleep. And finally, That's I just so woke gnarly. him up and I'm like, we're going to the hospital. <laughs> like, this uh, is scary. And then I was having a full on anxiety attack because it's it's one of the most terrifying feelings ever. And I've been through some shit. I have an autoimmune disorder and I've been in the hospital multiple times with some serious shit. And 
one of the most terrifying things of my entire life was being unable to breathe. Oh, I can like, only imagine. <laughs> it's just, I would not recommend it to anyone. <laughs> That's so wild. And I mean, what's, what's really interesting to me is, uh, cannabis in a lot of ways will actually help open your lungs. It's a bronchiodilator. And, yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Um, uh, you know, smoking in general is not good for your lungs and for your respiratory system. Um, even inhaling vapors and, and stuff like that isn't great for it, but it is a little improved. Um, so it's interesting that, that that's the reaction. Um, man, that's scary. <laughs> for whatever yeah, reason, it a... just seems to trigger an inflammatory response in his body. If he consumes edibles, his stomach gets kind of bloaty and doesn't feel well and i think if he inhales it it's a similar type of inflammatory response that's yeah. setting off what to me sounds like liquid it sounds like this really like liquidy um phlegmy type of raspiness that's it's almost happening like popping down. and crackling in your lungs exactly exactly which so is it why doctors like are like walking pneumonia because that's yeah. liquid in your lungs yeah well the reason i asked when this first happened was because in the early days of BHO extraction, mm -hmm. there was essentially like the dab cough, the dab cold, the, mm -hmm. the wook flu. It's, it's literally from not only like poorly made extracts and things like that and dabbing at the wrong temperature, but, you know, actual oils and, and, you know, disgusting molds, mildews, pathogens building up in your lungs and yeah, creating things like walking pneumonia and stuff. Mm. Um, that's super gnarly, but that also wasn't totally uncommon of that time, but it's really like, there's obviously something more to it than just that for you because it like, if you eat it, it manifests differently. Well, so I'll get to that in, in a sec. Definitely. Uh, cause what was interesting is like one of my best friends had a volcano. And so I like tried volcano for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was vaporizing at, you know, solid temperatures, like doing it by the book. I was seeing doctors like who got me prescribed for like asthma medication and all that stuff. Like I saw the actual doctor that signed me up with the the medical card and everything. So I like, I went to people, you know, at Harborside, I was talking to every single person I could talk to you. Be like, have you heard of this? How do I do it? Like, that's where that gal ended up giving me that crack pipe. Cause she was just like, <laughs> try this. Um, so I, I did kind of all the different lines of it that I could do. And then the edible part was part of it too. And it was edibles were okay back then. It was pretty easy for me to just be like, Oh yeah, I'm fine on edibles. I just don't prefer them. I mean, mm -hmm. it's the classic case with everyone because I mean, I've repeated it ad nauseum on this podcast and to the other people in my life that like you take an edible and your body processes it in your liver and it's a, it's an actual hallucinogen. <laughs> so yeah. like, it's, it's a whole different experience yeah. than, than smoking it. Yeah. And so edibles to me are a bit of a struggle. I don't really deal with much of them the one that we've settled on is a spray mm -hmm. so an actual um what is it, sublingual spray that you mm -hmm. spray under your tongue because i tried different things from tinctures to different types of edibles to just like salves and creams and anything in between um but this spray is nice because it's a limited amount because so part of what is just you know, me guessing me playing fucking MD and being a Google doctor <laughs> yeah. is like, I wonder if my body's allergic to THC. And that's, what's so interesting because like, no matter what form I do it in, 
there's some sort of inflammatory response. And so if I'm taking an edible, sometimes there's a bit of bloating that goes along with it. Just like stomach feel like it's protruding a bit. And it's, it's, and the interesting thing is that all this has continued on since, you know, 2008. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's, it like went away. Like I took an entire year off of smoking. What was it? 2016? Mm, I think it was 2016. 15? Either 2015 or 2016. I didn't smoke or do right any after the hospital. weed <laughs> for an entire year. Took one full year off. And so now I'm at a point where I can smoke a little bit every two weeks. And if I smoke every two weeks, my lungs are okay. Um, if I start to smoke more than that, I need to use my rescue inhaler every once in a while. And I get kind of like wheezy and have trouble breathing and going to bed. Have you ever just Googled it? Yeah. Have you, have you I heard literally of... just found, I just Googled allergic to THC and Healthline has a whole thing on it. And all the symptoms are exactly what. Well, I was going to ask if you've heard of cannabis hypermesis syndrome. No. Uh-uh. Cannabis hypermesis syndrome. I've never seen it uh, or heard about it like manifesting as like asthma or yeah. anything like that. But I have heard it causes severe like stomach issues. Um, and I don't fully understand it. I don't know if if we as a society fully understand it. But the way doctors are explaining it now is basically – um, heavy consumers basically develop a reaction to uh-huh. THC and um, high doses of THC, which is really interesting because I first heard about it from one of the owners of Medicine Man, which is a big um, vertically integrated grow and dispensary in Denver. And um, when I was visiting them once, it must have been three or four years ago. Um, their founder was telling me, you know, cause I was asking him, Oh, like, what do you like to smoke? Like, which ones are your favorites as he's showing me all his flowers. And he's like, you know, like I don't get to enjoy them the same way I used to because of this syndrome. And he started to explain it to me. And, um, the like only relief of the, the symptoms and the, the issues of cannabis hypermesis is people take really, really hot baths or showers hmm. and that like, increase in their body temperature or or something uh within like hot water raises their their immune system up a bit and um that's how they sort of subside from those symptoms um again it's like just you know a newer phenomenon now that we're able to sort of study these and not only that but now that people are going to the hospital and the doctor and saying, Hey, I, I did consume cannabis we have and, data and this is what's legal. happening. Yeah. Um, so I don't think what's, what's happened to you is that, but that it, there's yeah. some similarities. I used to boil pots of water and dip towels in it and put them over my head and, and just steam, put my head over yeah. steam so that I really? could just like breathe for a little while. Wild. <laughs> well, and, and then there's another theory that cannabis hypermesis syndrome is actually acute pesticide poisoning. Oh. So that's another thing I've always wondered about. And so that's, um, that's why when we go, yeah. that's why when we go, like I ask them about it, I ask them where it's grown, I ask them what their best is, like no pesticides. And because nowadays I'll, like we smoke nothing. Like when yeah. I, like I used to smoke a lot, <laughs> a decent <laughs> amount. Like I used to get home from school and I would roll myself a blunt and I would break it in half and I would smoke half <laughs> of it to myself and then another half of it later and then just do more bong rips. Like whatever. <laughs> like that was that was my jam. Watch Cash Cab. It's good shit. <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, when we smoke now, like 
I'll buy a gram of like <laughs> the best weed that I can find and it'll last us three months because I literally just like load each of us just the tiniest little snap and just like get it, get, get high enough for me to just like feel like I'm good and not feel like I, I mean, that breathe. is the beauty of, of a low tolerance, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a crazy low tolerance now, but it's weird. Cause well, and just that tiny amount and the seldom use he doesn't run into the breathing issues yeah but he, i, ha- I he can I, feel a little like heaviness on his chest but yeah. but it, it hasn't gotten oh, but i want to smoke more it's not like smoking a little bit i'm like ooh, i'm high enough like- i i need to introduce you to one of my coworkers, natalie who um she she has her own you know health concerns and she's struggled with finding clean cannabis because she's very sensitive to a lot of the pesticides that she used. But because of this, she's done extensive research, especially on the local market here cool. uh, because she's, she loves to smoke cannabis and she wants to continue to enjoy it. Um, and so she's sort of got like her parameters. And so anytime you're like passing a joint to her, she's like, Oh, who's this from who grew this? And she's like very knowledgeable about um all of the growers or a lot of the growers anyway, and like their methods and their processes, um, which is fantastic just like as, as a friendly resource, but she's also, she works in Leafly's customer service department. And Mm. so she, she really understands um, the patient on the other end of the phone or, or on email and stuff. And so she's, she's got a really good perspective on, on sort of local clean cannabis. And I think, um, she'd not only be just like interested to hear your story a little bit, but she'd probably have some suggestions for you. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to talk to her because that's always been something that I've been curious about because I have the whole autoimmune stuff. Like I have ulcerative colitis and so it's just autoimmune disorder is chronic inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be something in some sort of cannabinoid that is causing my body to react to it in an inflammatory way that specifically activates the part of my body that it's functioning in because if i'm doing an edible it's more in my stomach and lower abdomen region and if i smoke it's in my lungs and so it's like one of those cannabinoids is doing something it could also be it could also be terpenes um Mm -hmm. you know terpenes are more and more present (laughs) in cannabis now (laughs) (laughs) my great dane is dreaming oh wow Get him, Blue. Yeah, tell him. <laughs> He's agreeing. He's like, those fucking terpenes. Yeah. No, terpenes are like the flavor. I know, like I'm you kidding. Bo- okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in higher and higher dosages. <laughs> I want to wake him up. <laughs> hey, him Blue. Tap. What are you doing, barking. Hey, bud, Hi. you're good. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Why'd you wake me? I was sleeping. Um, I, but more and more terpenes, especially like if you're dabbing, it's concentrated. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a number of different terpenes and terpenoids that, that you know, it could just be some random compound in, in the makeup of the cannabis that occasionally, you know, either builds up within your system or, you know, hits some limit where, where your immune system just can't handle it. But... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's, it's frustrating cause we don't have the answers quite yeah. yet, but it's really exciting knowing that we can have them because um, we can do actual medical tests and we have people's information rather than them being scared to say, yes, I smoked marijuana. <laughs> now they can be like, yeah, I smoked marijuana. 
and I'm and not only that, but it was this type, and yeah, and like yeah. here's the the makeup and the potency, mm-hmm. and like there's yeah. just so much more. The consumers are more informed. Um, you know, the the medical field is actually probably the area that is the furthest behind because they've had to be so well had to be maybe not had to be <laughs> because they've been so resistant to this as a potential medicine. Um, mm-hmm. it, so it's frustrating, but um, there are more and more doctors that are starting to not only like align with cannabis, but, but push for deeper and deeper scientific research into this and uh, getting funding for those opportunities is slowly, but surely getting a little bit easier. Um, and one day, I think it's where a lot of medical funding will go, especially once we see it available on a national level. Yeah. Nice. So a lot of after work get togethers are beers at the bar is an after work get together at Leafly, like passing around a joint. What's the you what's know, the social vibe of working at a place like that? Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely smoke weed at the end of the day. It's one of the, my favorite parts of the day is just connecting with all your colleagues uh, at that. the end of the day, casually sharing a joint with them. Um, and you know, talking about life, talking about work, whatever, but, outside the confines of work. Um, so it's just a, a friendly interaction and not, Hey, I need something from you or, Hey, can you, can you get this done over here so that we can get this done over here or whatever? Um, but you know, alcohol is so ingrained in American culture Mm -hmm. and the global culture in general that, um, there's no escaping it. Like inevitably we go to happy hours Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, you know, I think like from, I know a lot of people would love to, you know, have a social club where we could just go and, and roll up a joint and have a safe place and not have to like all mob to someone's apartment or, Mm -hmm. or go out in the alley or whatever. But, you know, inevitably we just smoke a joint and then go hit a happy hour. And yeah, cause that would just be so cool to just like imagine not this specifically, but somewhere like timber room Mm -hmm. where you just had a room with a sweet system and a f- bunch of couches that are set up Dude, and someone just so playing sweet. some like really good psychedelic trippy oh, like, yeah. fun music. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like when I was in Amsterdam last, uh, last, I guess that was December. Um, I literally would go to the coffee shop and work and it's like the best environment to work in mm-hmm. because there's stuff happening. So you feel like you're a part of something, but, you're not, you don't have to engage with it. It's just sort of there and around you. And I would order a coffee and smoke a joint and get a bunch of writing done or, or do a bunch of work and then smoke another joint and have another coffee and then hit the road. <laughs> and it was like, I felt so productive. Whereas if I do that here, I'll go have a coffee, do some writing, kick it, get some food, be like, Oh, I should go smoke. And then it, it disrupts my whole flow. So it's like, it's really conducive to just like sitting down and getting it done, except not at home where I have even more distractions. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say that sounds like a work from home day to me, but is there, there's definitely certain types of weed that I do better with as far as getting shit done. There's some times where 
depending what we're we have in our little jar at that time uh sometimes i just want to snuggle up and watch a movie and other times i'm totally down to be on my computer and working on creative things and totally. my fingers are going mile a minute and i never thought about adding a little cup of espresso along with it now i'm like oh i'm doing that next <laughs> time cannabis and coffee that is probably like a great my, combo. my favorite combination i don't know ever. how i've never combined them before it yeah it's great they're pretty mm. awesome. Dude, uh, literally, cannabis and everything, and everything. go well. Yeah, I except know. alcohol in high doses. <laughs> well, it's really the only thing. And except the day after you microdosed acid, <laughs> because surprise, it's back. Oh, <laughs> there you are. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Happened. That's like after an after an acid trip when you're ready to go to bed and. <laughs> one one of my friends will inevitably like be like we should take a dab <laughs> which at the time which Did sounds we? so good which regular you is like fuck yeah I yes should. i'm going to lay down and go to bed mm. i should totally take a dab and then you realize it's the worst <laughs> idea you've ever had just slash the, the best just restart button yeah and you're laying total in your bed, restart like, whoa the ceiling sure is colorful so do you like to smoke before you play music um, like at home, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm playing out, not as much like at home, I'll get really high and just dig for songs yes. and, and play music and, you know, not for anyone other than myself. So I can kind of just get lost in the process. Um, but when I'm playing out, you know, I'm, I'm performing. So I, I like, I'm always stoned (laughs) to some (laughs) regard so like i'm definitely consuming cannabis but i don't really like to get super baked and Mm -hmm. go up on stage because my i just start second guessing myself um i think there's sort of that perfect amount of thc specifically where you take the edge off and find your zone and it allows you to just sort of move really really fluidly um, it's the same thing with like booze, you know, that like two beers in where you're just like really happy, having a good time, not drunk yet, but like just tipsy. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the state you want to find with cannabis when, when you perform, or at least for me, that's, I respect that's where that because when I see performers or DJs, especially that are wasted up there, like other than justin martin back in his pre-sober <laughs> days like he could somehow be a wizard and still make it happen but for some of them you're like all right somebody give that guy some water <laughs> you know other substances are a little different but yeah. but with cannabis like i have i have like the one place i don't like to be really really high is a nightclub mm-hmm. like it's also different if i'm at a festival or, or mm-hmm. playing in a different environment or like a monkey loft day party exactly definitely different than totally q and on a thursday night you're like mm. totally and like <laughs> festival sets where i can actually like spark up a joint while mm-hmm. i'm playing yeah and it, i have that freedom and have stuff. you done that oh yeah what festival is that at I mean, I think at Flow State last year we were smoking oh, yeah. joints on stage. That's yeah. true. You could totally I forgot do that there. you were at Flow State. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I definitely enjoy smoking. And, like, at, at the burn, I'll enjoy it. But you have to be a little bit more candid with <laughs> cannabis out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't like to to I start like that's the only environment where cannabis makes me sort of second guess mm-hmm. what I'm doing and um I also like 
I feel a certain amount of responsibility and like, it is a little bit of a job, you know, like I don't want to be that guy that, that went up there and just totally oh, train wrecked, totally especially, a job. especially yeah. a big production that, that a lot of people For have sure. poured energy into and stuff. And so not that I can't like function after smoking weed because I can, and I do all day, every day, mm-hmm. but I also like want to be able to have, uh, an intelligent conversation with everyone the second I step off stage mm-hmm. and, and some of that. And like, I think, um, cannabis is more like an, an after show. Like once I'm, once I'm finished performing, then, then I enjoy it more. Yeah. When did you start playing? How did you get into the music? Well, in film school, I studied sound design. So, mm-hmm. um, I was doing audio mixing in school. Um, and at the same time I had friends who were, into music production and stuff and so i sort of was looking over their shoulder and learning about you know re-record mixing and and scoring of films and and foley and all of that and um you know bass music started getting really really big and i started going to more and more electronic shows and the more i went the more i was like I started from the crowd sort of like understanding what they were doing and how they were doing it to a degree, especially when, when you're just mixing two tracks, it's a fairly simple concept to, to start grasping even from the the crowd. And so I was like, Hmm, I know my equipment's like a little different than, than like a, a performance mixer and stuff. So from there it was just sort of like, I started playing around. Like mm-hmm. I've always been infatuated with music I've always wanted to play music, but I've never really been what I would consider like instrumental. Like I, I took guitar lessons. I wanted to, you know, play guitar. I would love to play piano. Um, it's just not a language that was like taught to me at a young age, you know? And so it's much more difficult for me. And DJing's actually taught me so much about music. It's taught me more about music than like any other style or form of music because I have to learn you know, beat patterns and sequencing and sort of all the, all of these elements of music that if you're just listening to it, um, you don't necessarily connect to it the same way. Mm-hmm. Nice. I totally agree. <laughs> it, and it's one of those great things, like you said, where you can get super stoned at home and download a bunch of music and just start playing it for hours. And then you kind of like get in this groove. Um, and also the other, going back to your question about like, getting stoned before I play like a lot, I would say 99% of the time when I'm playing, I don't have anything more planned out than just a crate full of songs. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't do a lot of pre-planning. And so if I get really stoned, it's harder for me to sort of be fluid in, in spaces that I'm not totally aware of or comfortable with Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not, you know, a mix I've performed three or four times before I'm up there. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it got, it was easier to play a show stoned if it was at a place that I was used to. Mm-hmm. So like for me, when I was a resident at foundation, it was easy for me to be able to go there, feel comfortable. Exactly. I know what I'm doing. Like I've done this enough times and go throw down, but like we just played no signal together and you go up there and you know, I had actually played that venue once before, but it, it was totally different. The setup mm-hmm. was different. Like there was a big screen in front of me that time. And so it was just things were different. And so, yeah, I 
totally agree. If I had gone up there a little bit stoned, it definitely would throw that little bit of second guessing, which is right. like the opposite of alcohol, where you take one or two drinks. And I'm you're the like, best DJ ever. Well, not that, but you just have a little bit less anxiety yeah. about it. And you're yeah. like, eh, whatever, I'll play this track. It doesn't fucking matter. Like, it'll be good no matter what. Um, yep. It's funny how they're different like that, but then yeah. they're also so similar in so many different ways. Um, yeah, because... I was uh, stalking you on LinkedIn, and uh, <laughs> that's so funny. I've been that's using a, LinkedIn lately because I'm trying to get now. a job. Yeah, oh, yeah. So it's is like, Leafly I, hiring? I like never. Yeah, you should go LinkedIn. work at Leafly. Leafly is hiring. Yeah, there you right. go. Check out our careers page. Yeah, yeah, there's seriously like I mean, this space and and our company specifically have been growing so much over the past couple of years that like there's literally new job postings on Leafly's career Ooh, page okay. like every I other totally week. Totally so. see you being at a company like yeah, that. Well, maybe I'll look into that. But the reason I say it was because. You were at UW, mm-hmm. and I saw that you were the uh, the UW EDM <laughs> like club leader. Club leader, e- yeah, yeah. Um, EDM club. Yeah. Do you know Paul Oswald? Yeah. 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 So Paul was someone I met at UW through the EDM club, essentially, and it was a, like I don't even remember how I found out about it. I feel like it was one of those like random like set up a table and like yeah. show off what clubs are available. Like the first day of school EDM or whatever. EDM is the best. Change my mind. So there was an actually an EDM club. <laughs> and so, so they were trying to start it. Okay. Um, and I was like, Hey, I DJ like keep me posted. Like I'd love to know what you guys are actually up to. And I was much older when I went back to yeah. school. So I wasn't really, you know, in tune with sort of the, the campus social scene. Like that's not why I was at school, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, a bunch of kids and who, a few of whom have like grown up to like be integral parts of the local music scene here. Um, started throwing shows at just like random av bars and yeah. stuff. And yeah, I would play out with them from time to time. It wasn't anything like super formal or crazy, but it was sort of like, it was, it was my one tie to like campus life and campus culture while I was there other than just like going to school and going yeah. home. The reason I ask about it is because that's essentially what got me my start. Really? Was I moved back home from California in 2011 and met some people and this one girl added me to this group, UW Plur. And <laughs> apparently UW Plur was just uh, a uh, like it was like a senior project that someone created as a Facebook page as part of their project of surrounding the EDM, we'll call it. And I hate that term, but oh, me too. the EDM culture of Seattle. And apparently it just became the, like the most popular Facebook forum for Seattle based shows. And someone added me to this group. And so I would post these uh, monthly podcast mixes that I was making and someone hit me up and was like, hey, I throw a show at uh, Dante's. Yeah, Dante's. <laughs> and so I started playing these like EDM shows at Dante's and that like set me off on my career. And from there it was volume and then foundation. And- Dude, same path. <laughs> same path. Because yeah. Are you I guys mean, the same age? Uh, I'm 34. Thing? I was going to oh. say he's a few years older. Oh, okay. I'm 30. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, same thing. I mean, I, I had played out a little and was, you know, playing house parties and, and doing stuff. But I also wasn't really like actively trying to book or or do any of that because I was focused on mostly school and and a lot of side stuff with weed and whatnot. 
Um, and I still had my hand in, in some of the film stuff that we were working on on the side too. So when they came to me and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're throwing shows and everything. Yeah. I was like, Oh cool. This will give me a chance to start playing out a little bit more, which I did. Um, and simultaneously some other friends that I had been spinning with, um, we started getting residencies at, at, you know, volume and who are those people? Um, do you know, like Kenny Gunderson? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So him and Adam threw neon beats at the white rabbit in Fremont. And so I think we even had Paul come play one of those with us. Um, and yeah, so those were like some of the earliest Seattle shows that I really started playing and I never really, I still sort of to this day, like have no desire to be a nightclub DJ. Like that's not really the, the reason I DJ and the reason I play music, I'm not doing it to spend Thursday nights in a nightclub. Um, but like, I appreciate that that's where that's our cultural watering hole. And that's like where you go to, to hone your skills and to do things regularly so that you can go on to, you know, play festivals in the summer and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's funny because yeah, from there it's, you know, from there's sort of that, that minor league farm system (laughs) here where you like work your way and you, you chip off sort of all these shitty bars that let you sneak in a (laughs) DJ set here and there. And then you get Mm -hmm. in to some of the, uh, venues that, maybe have their own reputations and then uh, you eventually break into the places where you really actually want to play. And that's when you're sort of like, um, uh, that's when, that's when you start to actually feel like you're a part of the, where do you want to play? What would be the types of shows that you're looking to make happen? Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I love playing my own shows. I love playing. So that's what I wanted to like preference real quick. Was that like, that you and Jade and who else is doing it? Is it Raymond? Is it the three of you that are doing Mind at Large? So Mind at Large is a collective. I yeah. believe there's seven of us now. But yeah, oh, okay. I, I started it along with Jade and our other buddy, Scotty Moe, who was oh, one of Scotty the... Scotty that's right. Yeah, one of the original Meaty members. Meaty Beats. Meaty Beats. Yeah. Scotty's still around. He's just a dad now, yeah. so he doesn't get to hang out and play tunes with us yeah. quite so much. And that's the reason I prefaced it was because you guys did something different. Instead of being like, I'm going to try to get into a nightclub which is the route i took you guys decided we're going to create a collective and start doing our own thing totally yeah and that's like that's the whole thing is um so you ask like where where i want to play or Mm -hmm. what i want to play and really like my favorite place to play music is burning man Mm -hmm. um and and the festival environment sort of in general because it offers a lot of the freedom that you mentioned earlier and sort of the the ability to to get weird and to to go outside of like the norm. Um, and so I love those environments and I also love playing when there's sort of like not chaos, but, but when there's commotion happening, <laughs> like I love playing parties, like no signal, um, <laughs> no signal God. is like, if you're going to play inside, you know, in a city on mm-hmm. a Friday night or a weekend, like you want to show like that, that's not only like got, you know, a bar and loud music and fun people, but also has like a pulse to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, those are the things that, that really inspire me. I, I love art and, and interactive art. And mm-hmm. that's, that's like how I like to view 
DJing and playing music is like, it's not so much about me. It's about like what I can evoke out of everyone else. Who's, who's on the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. Um, so any environment that sort of opens up and offers freedom, um, I think is, is where I want to play. That's why like we throw a lot of shows at substation and it's because we've been, involved with with the team there since before they even opened their doors and um they just allow us sort of a blank canvas for creative freedom that has some of the facilities and structure of like typical nightlife but also like the freedom and sort of off the beaten path um feel that allows us to like do something different and make it a little bit more of a destination okay We'll have to check that out. We haven't been. Yeah, we have a APOG fundraiser at the end of April. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a really fun party. Yeah. It, uh, if it's not on a calendar, it, it should be. Yeah. Because <laughs> Mark's playing that one. Yep. Remember? Yeah. So, yeah. So, we like absolutely love the APOG crew. So, that's the crew that I went to Burning Man with for my first Burning Man. Um, yeah. So, definitely that. Burning Man, it's a crazy adventure where you can get weird with it. So. Yeah. Oh, well, and where I was going with that was that, like, so when I came back from Burning Man, and I'd already been, you know, playing shows and, and stuff like that already, but when I came back, I was like, why do, why do I want to, like, try to fit into this mold of, like, the opening DJ that they need you to play this style of music or play some top 40 or some music that you don't want to play, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not why I do this. I don't do it just to like be the monkey up there pressing that's buttons. That's why I'm not a wedding DJ. Exactly. Same, <laughs> same. I can make a lot of money, but yeah. not yeah, going to do it. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't make my soul happy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so then I was like, once I sort of, I was so empowered by Burning Man, I was like, oh, pff, I could do this. I could, I could throw a show and I could create an environment to, um, you know, present and perform um and boy was that naive because throwing shows is a lot of fucking work (laughs) yeah um surprise yeah surprise (laughs) surprise and i'm slowly like but it's really allowed me to build my own space to understand what it is that that i like to play and how i like to play and who i like to play for and and where and so Um, that's been really good because I haven't had to compromise a whole lot as far as like what I want to do and when I want to do it. Um, and now I'm getting booked more and more by, by other people. And so there is not pressure, but just like you want, you want to live up to whatever reputation they they saw in you and, and wanted to put you on. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as far as mind at large goes, like the whole idea behind mind at large was, uh, you know, infinite creativity, essentially like uh, a total collaboration between anybody and everybody who's an active member. Um, and that's sort of waxed and waned in a, in a bunch of different areas from like digital art to sort of the, the DJ collective that a lot of people know mind as large mind at large as. Um, and so that's me and Jade. And like I said, Scotty Mo, when he's available from time to time still joins us. Um, and then Raymond and, uh, Everett left side and um goobs and in march we've got a couple other crew members joining us that we'll be making an announcement soon about so that'll be fun too um and really it's just like our way of like rallying behind um not just people who like to play 
you know, similar music and stuff, but we all just have very similar attitudes. It's all, it's all about like having a good time and, um, you know, supporting each other as much as we want to support ourselves. And that way, you know, you've always got a team behind Mm -hmm. you. You've always got someone who's got your back. It, it makes just, you know, our powers are so much greater together than they are apart because when someone can't take a booking, it's like, Oh, you should talk to so-and-so or I've got this other thing going on. Or when someone's like, Hey, you know, anyone who wants to play this show with you, you're like, I got a whole team with Mm -hmm. me. Like, just, just tell me when. And so that's, what's really cool. And then we also get to get together and do things like our crew sets where three or four of us will get up there and just play ridiculous B2Bs for hours on end. And, um, those are honestly like some of the most fun I've ever had, uh, DJing just because it's, it's literally like when I go play music with Jade and we just nerd out for a couple hours and smoke a bunch of weed. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, Oh, there's a whole room vibing with us, dude. And that's, what's, that's, what's cool. Like I, I am someone who wants to collaborate. Like mm-hmm. I love, um, you know, individual effort. I think, um, I think I personally thrive better with partnership and with collaboration. I'm so 100% the exactly same. Exactly how he is. So like my whole start in the career, uh, the reason you see all this gear right here was because I had a buddy and him and I started together and we were gravity lift and, you know, we started playing at Dante's together in volume. And so like we were a duo all the time. We did everything together in all of our shows and, um, and then he kind of ended up kind of moving away from it in other ways. And he quite literally moved away to Chicago. And so he's back now, but it's like, he doesn't, he doesn't like the nightclub opening DJ thing. You know, Mm -hmm. he's, he's not into it. And I, I totally get it. And I've, I've done enough of it that it, it has a special place in my heart that I'm okay with it because I have found a way to showcase my creativity within somewhat of a box that Mm -hmm. I've been put in, but I'm I'm learning to push outside of that box just enough that it still fits. You get some cool bookings, man. I see it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, there's some fun stuff going on, but there was definitely like when Dave and I were doing stuff together, like I was doing great stuff, like opened up for above and beyond played a USC festival, like had good stuff going on. And then we kind of took a step back and he disappeared. And then I rebranded myself solo. And then soon after that, she came into play and then it was like, Oh, I had a partnership with her. We did this partnership with yoga. Cause I'm very much the same way. I love to collab. And the last few years have felt, really weird not having someone else to collab with feeling like I was a loner in this like Mm -hmm. thing that I always had someone with me at. And now I'm going to show solo instead of my best friend always being there with me. Um, And so, but it was interesting because right around the time that he disappeared, all of a sudden these collectives started happening and I didn't have the wherewithal to like, want to join one or think that that was like a viable option yep. there's there's always been like crews like you can think of like the lost boys crew like totally. that's pretty much like an og crew but it's it's interesting watching the progression in seattle change so much that suddenly it's popular now you've got friend zone you've got you guys mind at large like there's what is it waves like the the old foundation crew no longer has a place to go and so they've kind of created their own crew yep. they have a charity thing they're doing so it's it's been interesting watching people like do all of these crews and 
I've found my way into 4-4 now, but I wouldn't say that's like its own collective or crew. And so it's like I'm always kind of on that search of like I like the idea of a crew and I'm definitely like eyeing that collaborative idea. And I, I have some ideas that I'm working with and some nice. stuff that her I and I have talked about, but we haven't like, you know, gone any routes yet. Yeah, I mean, that's like that's like I I function so much better. And I think Jade would probably tell you the same like we function so much better like when we can just bounce shit off each board. other mm-hmm. like even our i mean our stupidest ideas are usually our best ones so uh-huh. uh thank you for supporting all my dumb ideas jade <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's like and you need you like you need that gut check you need like when something falls through or like um you know, when you didn't get the show that you thought you were going to get booked on or whatever, like you just need that sounding board. And like, I mean, normally in life, that's my wife. Like I would tell Uh her everything, but, and and I do, but she's like, tell that shit to Jade. Like, I don't even know the people (laughs) you're talking about. I don't know the venue you're talking about. Like she's stoked for me, but like when it comes time to vent, it's like, you know, he's the one who will care. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Well, uh, are you interested in, showing us how that thing works hell yeah maybe enjoying in it yeah do you guys have a little splash of water uh, yes There's some in my i've got a water bottle right behind you Perfect. if you want to grab it babe okay yeah yeah because you've you've posted about this thing before and i was i was always intrigued by it as this little kind of thing yeah so it's very cool it's um essentially like if you've ever dabbed with an e-nail yeah it's essentially just like a self-contained email and yeah. dab rig. Um, and is it just battery powered? Is it just like a USB yep, charge? USB charge. Sweet. It's got four heat settings, like oh, nice. between 450 and 650. So, so there's no actual temperature, but it's like somewhere in between. Uh, no, like each. So here, when I flip it on. But it's not like an old school one where you've got a little knob that you turn it down to a certain temperature. It's got four settings. Exactly. It's got cool. four settings in 50, 50 degree increments, I believe. Okay. Which which uh, which heat temp do you go with? S- sort of depends on what uh, what I'm dabbing. So that's kind of where I wanted to geek out with you on some of like the specifics of yeah. like what you really enjoy about certain things because I I, I we'll touch on it as we go but like the whole discrepancy that some people know hand water? Under water um, the whole discrepancy of like people thinking that indica and sativa are oh, a specific thing and it's been funny because her daughter or I guess our daughter because we're married is uh she's nineteen now. And so she loves smoking weed. She obviously it's not legal, but like I I love being able to share weed with her. Yeah, it's got a weird little tip on the end of the straw there. Um, you can pull the straw out if you want to do that little like yeah, thumb I think trick that's or whatever. What I'll do. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been great sharing weed with her. But she had that same misconception that I always had my entire life until two years ago, really figuring out that like indica and sativa don't really mean anything. And you definitely talked about it on that podcast, but so it's like, if, if that's the case, it's obviously a much more complex issue. Yeah, definitely. And it's not so much that Indica and Sativa don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, (laughs) it's that they're the, by classifying cannabis's effects, um, into two categories, Indica (laughs) and Sativa, it's just a a vast oversimplification. People just think stony couch lock versus mind 
thinking too much. Right, exactly. And that's definitely the spectrum of cannabis's effects, yeah. right? Like like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. There's the stuff that makes you want to get up and go and the stuff that you just want to curl up and watch a movie. And cannabis, you know, depending on who you are and how you consume it and your own, you know, lifestyle and and uh, metabolism and sort of all these other variables, like each one of us can experience that just a little bit differently. So what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. Um, now with the indica sativa thing is that, like I said, it's an oversimplification of sort of that spectrum of cannabis's effects. Um, really what the effects are a result of is the, uh, recipe or the entourage of, the different cannabinoids and terpenes. So all the natural chemical compounds that cannabis produces that give it both its flavors, aroma, and its effects. Um, and so all of those things, you know, seemingly hundreds of cannabinoids and hundreds of terpenes working in unison to create, um, and modulate the cannabis experience. Um, so they're sort of all stimulating your same receptors, um, simultaneously. And if, you get, you know, you can think of it like a cocktail a little bit. Like if you add just a little bit more whiskey and a little, you know, less ginger, then it's going to be a little more potent in some regard. And maybe if you added a little more ginger, it wouldn't be so like mentally potent, but it would be, you know, more, more flavorful potent. potent. Mm. Um, so it's sort of a, a never ending balance of all of those things working in, in unison to create cannabis's effects. And so like, that's a pretty fucking abstract <laughs> idea, especially if you're new to cannabis mm-hmm. or a patient for the first time, that's just been like, I don't know. My doctor said I should try this. It's like a complex math equation for each one. <laughs> exactly. And like, we're just now starting to see the data and Leafly's doing some really, really cool stuff as far as diving into, you know, verified lab data and, and how we can, can, use it to understand strains and understand the effects they'll have on us. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, where, where indica and sativa is important. Um, I think if you ask a lot of growers, it's important. What indica and sativa is, is actually an indicator of the morphology of the plant. So what it actually looks like sativas are tall and skinny. They're usually sort of bright green and, and have sort of thinner fingerly leaves. Whereas indicas are short, stout, bushy. They, a lot of times have really dark green and almost like waxy sort of leaves and, um, they're, they, they're just visually different and they grow different. And so when you're in the garden working with them, they have their advantages and disadvantages. And so as a grower, you're very sort of cognizant of a plant's morphology. But as a consumer, you're just getting a bud. And, you know, indica sativa and the reality is, is that almost everything you're consuming is some sort of hybrid because very few land race and heirloom genetics exist sort of untouched today. seems like everybody wants some sort of a hybrid. So if a plant was a person, Jordan would be sativa and I would be indica. <laughs> yeah? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, definitely. It's good to know. I think that so kind of works too. So when we have too. a baby, I've got my anxiety we're going to have a hybrid. Your, <laughs> we're going to have a hybrid. Your, you love too. to lay down and cuddle and watch movies. Yeah. yeah I think I think it fits a lot more than just our body types. <laughs> Sounds about right. It's perfect. Um, I have some Facebook questions. Well, you, you should wait until he's stoned to ask him oh, yeah. Facebook oh, questions. Okay, yeah, because I mean. they're ridiculous. Just <laughs> FYI. There's like one good one, but. 
I'll literally like, one serious question and then the rest are ridiculous yeah uh, those are fun well, I would I'm sure imagine. yeah <laughs> I wouldn't expect any I less. guess I should have specified in my post <laughs> any serious questions well I, I don't want like dramatic but you know like I think that you are somebody that I'm sure people look up to and that you're inspiring and so oh man I would love to um pick your brain on I don't know yeah like what makes you tick? What makes you excited? What makes you passionate about all these things? And you keep mentioning this wife. What's her deal? I don't oh know. man, she is the best. Seriously, like when when people say better halves, that is Kelly. Like she Aww. is my better half. Um, and she's totally like, you know, my balancing mechanism. Like she is any of those like social anxieties that I was maybe alluding to with you know being in a nightclub or like any of that sort of thing like kelly is the opposite she's a total butterfly her mission is to find the person who looks the most uncomfortable in the mm. room and to make them feel the most welcome That's so sweet and uh because of that and because of like the the worlds that i operate in and um, both of us just being like really sort of open and welcoming people in general even if i can be a little uh tough to crack at first um, you know, it draws in so many amazing people and I can't imagine what, you know, the people I wouldn't know because mm -hmm. of my social butterfly of a wife, like, um, and so that, yeah, she's totally my better half. And most people like get sick of me cause I'm like, Oh, Kelly would love that. Oh, <laughs> does got, she come out you... to shows? I don't know that I've she does her. not okay. as much. She's back in school now. So okay. she's really focused on that. She's getting all her prereqs done so she can go to dental school. Nice. Um, but yeah, she's usually out if I am playing and she doesn't have uh, work that night. Very cool. I'm used to being the only wifey there. So it's nice to know there's other ones floating around like a butterfly. Yeah, they show up sometimes. We've kind of, we've talked several times about the differentiation between being able to say that's my wife and hold up your hand and have a ring on your finger. It's just this total different feeling. It really just like, honestly helps a lot in the nightclub scene. It does. It's amazing. The diff people are like, oh, does it feel any different? I'm like, yeah, it legitimately feels different because we are in that atmosphere a lot. And there's just something that's, I don't know gets them off me <laughs> by just being like that's my husband up there playing they're like oh cool legit like he's dope and they're not like oh yeah your boyfriend sure whatever you know it's just different kelly yeah. kelly always likes to do shit like when when just random people are in the crowd she's like oh man that dj's hot i'm gonna go kiss him <laughs> <laughs> and people are like what did you see what that girl just did and she, she just loves getting reactions like that I love nice. that that's a great idea <laughs> yeah Nella's down for shenanigans definitely. she's always down to mess with people at the club definitely I'm a staple there though I mean I'm, I'm at every show and I would consider myself the new sidekick in a way even though I'm not up there playing with him um I don't know. I know the ins and outs of everything that's going on. And I'm definitely one of those people that's like, when he gets done with a set, I'm like dragging him around, like, okay, you need to go see this person and go see that person. <laughs> She's my like, manager. All yeah, these people that's came awesome. to see you and you want to get a show with this group or this crew, like make sure let's get over and talk to him. So I would definitely say that I um, am a bit of an instigator on Good. his that's DJ awesome. career. Yeah. And I would like to, 
I would like to learn to mix mostly for our yoga stuff so that oh, sure. he gets to teach sometimes too and we can kind of tag team it back and forth. I love looking for music, but as far as like getting down here and actually playing with it, I have not done yet. But I, you should I love finding things and I especially love it when I send it to him and he actually likes it. I'm like, yes, I've got a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I always love. I always love sneaking in songs that like. um, Well, of course, if Kelly's going to be at the show and I can sneak in a sample or something of something she she loves, I will. Um, And even just like friends, like Mm -hmm. you have those songs that you know some of your friends just go bananas for. And as much fun as it is to get a whole room of people moving, it's almost as much fun to get one single huge reaction out of one person yeah um because it usually instigates everything else going on around it and so like if i can sneak in some of those um when i know specific people are are at the show or in the audience i definitely do yeah i did that at no signal with a couple different songs and RJ it was fantastically. so happy yeah yeah and then she actually found a will clark remix of a rufus to soul track and so I played that too, and everyone knows Rufus DeSoul. I was so oh, yeah. happy you played that because when I found that the other night, I was like, <gasps> I was like, I need this in my life. I listened to it like four times before I even <laughs> sent it to you, and then I was like, all right, I'll give it to him. Yeah, but, send it oh, to me. God. Kelly's been pretty obsessed it's with so Rufus good. recently. Oh, yeah, I have it right yeah. on here. It's a techno remix. It's Will good. Clark with yeah. his techno. It's really. Oh, good. actually, I think Jade called that out when you played it. Yeah, <laughs> probably. It's not. It's not a super new track, but it's a uh, it's super like good track. Three or four months old. Yeah. Yeah. That's the crazy thing how fast things change in this oh industry. i know yeah in this day and age like if the if a track is a week old like every dj in seattle's yeah. already played it yeah. yeah it's crazy i know sometimes i'll go back like a year or two and he'll be like this sounds familiar i'm like yeah you already forgot about it just play it again <laughs> <laughs> honestly though those are some great songs to throw in yeah, yeah. like sprinkle them in because mm-hmm. like our attention bands are so short mm-hmm. that instantly people are like I know oh, this. I know this. We used to listen to it all the time, like six months ago. Where Dude, did it go? Lane 8 Winter Mix, like 2016 or something, is still one of the best mixes ever. Yeah. It's just some some tracks you got to go back to. Yep. So is this thing, so are you dabbing like a regular dab, essentially, where you're putting an oil on a heated spot and then you're just taking like a, a solo hit? Yeah. Uh, the beauty of the peak is you can actually, you can... You can apply it to a hot, to the hot nail, or you can preload it and heat it up, which is what I just did. Yeah. Which makes life way easier just because you're not doing a million things at once. You load it and it takes like 10 or 15 seconds to get to temperature and then it vibrates and you can rip it. Oh, crazy. Do you find anything different with that? Weird analogy, but like if you're cooking food in the oven, like you got to put it in after the oven's already preheated. She doesn't, and she claims it's no Depends different. what I'm doing. But like, if I'm so that, baking, I always preheat, but if I'm so not So that's baking, what I'm wondering is like, it. have you noticed, it doesn't sound like you have, but have you noticed any difference between the effects of one of these where you like put something in and then heat it? Or is it like, I don't know, the same? Well, I think, so there's sort of, there's a bunch of different ways to achieve like sort of that sweet, spot with temperature when you're dabbing and yeah. you can either sort of gradually raise the temperature up or get your temperature hot and have it slowly fall and you sort of hit that sweet spot Got right it. yeah so you can do it either way with this the beauty of this is it has 
control. So it's not going to go past a certain temperature. It'll stop. Right. And if you're heating up like a, a nail with a torch, you can easily sort of go past the point of no return. Yeah. You don't even know what temperature you're getting it to. Yeah. And that's so, why I know some people love e-nails, but then other people hate that it has to be plugged in and there's cords to trip over. And, and that's sort of what this solves. Yeah. Is it's portable. You know, a lot of people complain that this isn't quite, you know, up to snuff as far as a dab. And and like I said, when I'm at home, I still really do yeah. enjoy the ritual of travel. dabbing and sort of being able to use different rigs and, and have different styles at my disposal. Mm-hmm. But like, Anytime I'm out of my house, this is what I'm dabbing because mm-hmm. it makes dabbing so easy, so convenient. And it it is like a real dab. Like you can get as big of a cloud as you want or you can take it low temp enough so that it's, you know, nice and, and flavorful. Yeah. And so that's all glass too? The top is all glass. Yeah. Yeah. And then the atomizer and the dish are ceramic. Although I do have a quartz insert for it. I just Oh, like- interesting. I like the ceramic because it's what it was built for and it's what it's optimized for. Okay. And so what, what did you just smoke? So this is it's your own rosin. It's, I can't take credit for it. Oh, I just see that it's in some paper and it, it is. is obviously not a uh, club purchase. Yeah. So this is, um, some tangy hash rosin that is grown by a few of my friends here that are, medical patients um and they uh wash the hash and then with from the hash they press it into rosin essentially into its dabbable form um and it's just sort of a way of both extracting it and um purifying it a little bit and preparing it so that you can dab it and vaporize it that's the other thing i wanted to ask you about so when my friends grow now they literally just freeze what, right when they pick it, yeah, they freeze fresh it. frozen, and so they just fresh freeze it, and they go into their whole process of turning it into whatever extract or mm-hmm. solvent they want to turn it into. Um, part of what I was also wondering when we were talking about pesticides was, could there be a potential that things are not cured well enough that then there are other things that are in it, like a, a more of a wet weed if it's not fully cured correctly is, is that an issue because i know some people talk about some places don't cure things well enough yeah curing is definitely different in the recreational market just because you know most people get it to market and don't spend a whole lot of time and energy on um curing it especially because you can do things like fresh freeze it and then and then just make a concentrate with it so if you're not um growing mostly for flower and for exceptional flower, like you might not have a dialed in curing process and you know, what does that manifest as any number of things? Like it could be anything from like molds and mildews to anything like just like, you know, high levels of chlorophyll and stuff still built up in the plant. Um, not knowing, you know, it sounds like you have a, um, with your autoimmune issues like you sort of have a a fragile immune system already and so like it could just be that one of those small variables is you know building up over time because you're able to consume just a little bit at a time and that's what i was saying about about um cannabis hypermesis and the theory that it may be um pesticide poisoning the theory is is that it's not from 
just smoking a bud with a lot of pesticide on it. It's actually, the theory is smoking a lot of bud with very, very small micro amounts of pesticide that then build up in your system Mm -hmm. and could present those problems. Again, these aren't like founded claims. We don't have a definitive answer, but it's a theory as to why sort of people are getting this unknown sickness with cannabis yeah. Um, it sounds right. Cause a lot of my thought initially was like, you know, doing those BHO oils back in the day and having that hack, was that some sort of this just like accumulation of, you know, butane vapors in my lungs or something that had somehow built up. Um, that's interesting though. Cause the pesticides definitely makes more sense being that it's something that could get built up in your system over time. And then now that it's, cause I know that's, that's how uh, autoimmune things happen. You're predisposed to it. And once it's triggered, it's not going away. So it's like most people can get away with it, not getting triggered. But now that my autoimmune's triggered, I have it for life. And so I wonder if that was some sort of that same thing is like there was a buildup of something that triggered this reaction to THC or, you know, whatever specific cannabinoid. That makes me wonder, have you had any similar reactions to like CBD? I haven't toyed a lot with CBD. I'm definitely interested, but like I like I've been gluten free for like 13 years now and like dairy free for like 11 and like there's a couple other allergy stuff that I just don't dabble with because of reactions. Um, but no, I haven't, I mean, we have some of the oleo right here. Um, I don't know if you know their process at all, but they just have like a specific extraction process and they just turn it into a powder and it's just like CBD powder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have been meaning to start doing it as a supplement because I, the problem is I've taken supplements my entire life. My mm-hmm. grandparents are like, they do supplement sales for this company. It's like, it's not a multi-level marketing company. It okay, it is a multi-level <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yes. It definitely is. I guess you're right. I guess, I, yeah, definitely. I guess. So in its own way, it for sure is. So I like grew up with vitamins all the time, but then like I'm super into biohacking. And so like I've taken tons of different supplements over the time, over my life, but I've kind of like, gotten to a point where like, it seems like most supplements are kind of a waste of money. Um, and so that's been kind of a realization over the last couple of years. And so I haven't delved into the CBD world, but now that I know what to get and know that I can get it in high quality, good product, um, I'm definitely interested to try it and see how it affects me because I have started developing a lot of anxiety over the last couple of years that I never used to have. Um, and a lot of people talk about, you know, smoking weed or CBD as being those cures. And obviously I can't smoke weed regularly. And so um, definitely interested to try CBD and see what it does. Well, and with, with anything cannabis related, I always encourage people to get uh, full spectrum, whatever it is, whether it's high THC or high CBD. Because of all those things working together, they work better in unison. Like uh, CBD actually works with THC and they balance each other out. That's why um, with like a one-to-one CBD to THC ratio, you won't have profound psychoactive experiences, but you will have a lot of the therapeutic benefits Mm -hmm. of cannabis. Um, And then with a high CBD or like hemp varieties, um, you... You get you get a CBD effect, but it's not sort of a well 
round, at least in my experience, because yeah. I know other people who who have benefited greatly from hemp isolate and and some things like that. So it's not to say that it doesn't work, but me personally, I am a champion for full spectrum cannabis, and I always encourage people to have full spectrum cannabis. There's there's a reason why nature grows the plant that way. Yeah. Um, and I think all of the compounds, as great as they are, and their potential medical benefits as isolates are, are great and huge. And we definitely need to study them. But I think, um, we see a lot of evidence that shows like the full spectrum of cannabis working together is actually, um, a better plant-based medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I forgot about that. I actually grilled Skylar about that after listening to you on that other podcast, because I, totally agree with that. I don't, I don't know why that totally slipped my brain. Um, cause that, I think that was part of why I didn't delve into this was cause it was trying to figure out exactly like what, you know, one-to-one ratio I can find that is going to be useful because I'm still trying to figure out what it is that is making me have some sort of, mm-hmm. uh, immune response to it. Um, and it's, I can't just go smoke one-to-one stuff. She got a one-to-one pen that we were using. And I definitely noticed that doesn't affect my lungs mm-hmm. quite as much. But anything inhaled still affects yeah. my lungs. Um, so obviously any sort of, you know, uh, edible is still going to do some sort of an effect. I just appreciate that there are no THC options, options. for oh, people who are brand new to it, who are intimidated or scared or just still judgmental of quote unquote getting high. And I think it's a great gateway into the concept of the plant for people who Are you who calling cannabis that. a gateway drug? Yeah. <laughs> just no, I'm CBD. calling CBD, CBD the is a gateway. gateway to THC. I think CBD is the gateway to THC for a I lot agree. of people. I love it. It's like, it's like cannabis light and it's a good introduction yeah. Yeah. and it's, it's not so profound, but that's also where sort of maybe my bias comes from as a longtime cannabis consumer. You know, I enjoy THC. I enjoy the feeling it gives me. Uh-huh. I like it and I kind of need a little bit of it to, to signal to my brain and my body that, um, cannabis is inside and mm-hmm. working and it's sort of giving me the feedback in my brain and body that I really, uh, need to have a full, well-rounded experience. Mm-hmm. So what's the CBD content in that oil? Little to none. Okay. So, yeah. so what if I try taking a, a little dab of that and then a spoonful of this oleo? <laughs> just, just snort it. <laughs> Just do a line of some oleo. I don't think it was meant to go that way, but I don't want. think so. <laughs> but hey, I mean, if that's giving me the the I full spectrum, I mean, we've spectrum. snorted chocolate. Yeah, have well, you ever snorted chocolate? I have. We should yeah. have brought some down. Yeah, cacao it's not is... the greatest thing ever. I it's... love it. Whatever. It's, it's not fantastic. the greatest thing ever. No, it's simply not the greatest. <laughs> that's thing all ever, I'm saying. It's... it's not like it's like holy shit. That's so fantastic. I think it's delicious. But it's definitely pretty funny to do. Yeah, it's the best, I mean, the best nasal drip I've ever had. A lot of terpenes and flavor on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Good yeah, story. I mean, well, well, one really great thing is now that the farm bill has effectively legalized hemp in the United States, you are seeing a lot of really high quality domestic hemp grown CBD, 
Whereas before, a lot of maybe some of the questionable stuff that that you had concerns about was actually being shipped in from uh, other places, namely China, that don't have the same environmental standards and definitely don't have the same laboratory standards, Mm -hmm. um, especially when they're making it somewhat clandestinely and and shipping it overseas and Mm -hmm. sort of all that's involved with that. And so like... Now you're able, like Oregon is a hotbed for hemp farming. There's so much hemp being farmed in, in Oregon that you can get some absolutely incredible and amazing high CBD flower that provides, you know, the same ritual of breaking down a aromatic cannabis and rolling it up and everything you appreciate it without the same amount of THC because it has cool. next to none. And so like... It is like there are people who literally smoke CBD joints um, like as a means to stop smoking cigarettes and mm-hmm. stuff. And so it's mm-hmm. g- just great that there is an alternative like that and provides that introduction that you're mm-hmm. talking about to maybe see if you do want to incorporate this in your life different ways. Yeah. That'd be an interesting way for me to try out my theory of THC being the part that's causing the inflammation. Mm-hmm. Because if I smoke just a straight up CBD joint, if I still find, you know, yeah. similar levels of it was just crazy you know talking about the fact that there's thc thca and then you know cbd cbg cbn like cbx (laughs) it's just and probably more that we have yet to for sure more to understand Yeah. yeah it's just crazy like how many there are and wondering if like is there a specific cannabinoid that affects me or is it more likely that it's a pesticide you know given our conversation i think a pesticide's kind of the most likely um but it's kind of hard because like people talk about like organic farming or whatnot. Like most people use pesticides in some way. Like if you get some sort of mite or something in your bud, like your crop's gone. Well, so it's interesting because pesticides, when you say that word, everybody automatically defines it or assumes in their brain that you're talking about harsh chemical pesticides, right? But so there are organic pesticides. Yeah, there's right? organic pesticides, there's yeah. integrated pest management, which if you look at the definition of what a pesticide is, it's literally anything that prevents infestation of pets. Hmm. Or pests, not pets. We want infestation of pets. <laughs> More pets. Just get some aphids. Yeah. <laughs> You don't want root aphids on your <laughs> cannabis. I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, I got them in my jade plant right now. <laughs> little fuckers. <laughs> They're impossible, man. <laughs> but, but yeah. So I don't even remember where Sorry, I was going with yeah. that. <laughs> I just dragged you with the jades. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just basically, there's there's non right exactly. Pesticides. So so pesticides is sort of a, a loose category in and of itself. But yeah, when you think about like what do you do if, especially with all these like new upstart businesses that have invested so much into this and your crop is about to fail, what do you do? Like you do just about anything, right? You'll, you'll extract it. You'll, you'll do all sorts of stuff. Luckily state level testing prevents at least a lot of the, um, you know, bad product from getting to the market but in places like washington where we have very limited if any pesticide regulation other than having to label it and abide by a certain list that the lcb puts out um there's no real check or balance like you don't get products tested for pesticides and it's unfortunate um and that's another sort of hot button topic here locally that's that's being pushed on and i mean it has to change it if we want to be you know taking public safety 
you know, number one as an industry than cannabis and cannabis testing and pesticide testing specifically mm-hmm. has to be at the forefront of that. And you said LCB, like liquor control board, liquor and cannabis control board. Ah, yeah. okay. Cause I was going to say like, that's interesting that they're combined together as one. Do it you is. like that they're combined together as one I, or do you think they should be totally separate? I hate it. Yeah. yeah I hate it. it. I mean, personally, really personally, I think the department of agriculture should, mm-hmm. should be regulating yeah. the farms that are farming cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's just me. That's they're looking at issues like pesticides on food. And yes, it's way different with a smokable product than something you're just eating. It's a totally different scenario, but, but it's more similar than exactly. They have more experience than the alcohol control board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of what happened with our property here. We used to be full agriculture cause we make uh, cider. We just I don't think fresh he knows press apples. What here means, but we'll give oh, you a yeah. little walk about later. Yeah. yeah I basically just like crush apples into juice every Sick. week. And we sell it. Just you make like apple fresh. rosin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, smoke that pulp. Uh, It's funny. But yeah, so we definitely do that. And then, um, so they changed from being agriculture to having more kind of say over everything. And that kind of totally changed the way things work. And it doesn't make sense because agriculture makes more sense. Mm -hmm. They understand the product. They understand what they're doing. They're not coming from a business mindset that doesn't deal with anything plant related. And then say, well, now we have It's just a regulatory board. Like, Mm -hmm. They're just looking at at laws and mm-hmm. regulations and whether you're abiding by them, not the the actual like what it takes to grow the apple, smoosh the apple, get the cider, you know, like mm-hmm. all they they don't fully comprehend the process. I will say they're getting better. Um, and the more that companies are working together with the LCB, the better the relationships are getting. Um, so I want to believe, and I'm sure plenty of people out there would dispute that because they own businesses and have headaches with the LCB all the time. But I would like to believe that collectively things are getting better, but it's, it's just really frustrating because at the same time, it's like, why are the people who don't have experience and I, who's to say that they even wanted to regulate cannabis? You know what I mean? Like they already have enough of a challenge regulating alcohol. Like why pile that onto their plate? Um, Seriously. Yeah. And agriculture just makes all the sense in the world. You're growing cannabis. Personally, I think cannabis should be bought and sold like produce. That's how, that's how you pick out a fresh product like that. You pick it up, you smell it, you look at it, inspect it. Does it look good? Are there spots on it? Are there, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of, of the California model of purchasing cannabis that wasn't prepackaged is you got to go in, you got to the nose nose as they say, mm-hmm. and you let, you let your nose tell you what cannabis to enjoy. Interesting. I, love that. I like that the concept. Nose. Have the aisle at PCC. Exactly. What are you spilling all over here? I got a bunch of oleo on, on the thing. Did you put it in your water? Yeah. I'm going to steal some of your water then. Um, so I have a couple questions. All right. Hit me. You, um, sh- you should load me with a bowl. Yeah, you want while one? you're uh, while she's asking you questions. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> I'm gonna do the first um, couple silly ones, and it can be like insanely small. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and the beauty of this is like you can keep pulling or just I'll stop. Just pass pulling. it on to her. <laughs> so Jade wants to know um, 
what his vans smell like. What's my van smell like? <laughs> and for people who are listening who don't know of Jade's van, it is named Vanna White the Woke Wagon. <laughs> What's yours name? Because you pulled up in a white wagon oh, as well. He... I also have a white Volkswagen van. Oh, do you? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> is it as woke as Jade's woke uh, wagon? I don't know if anything's as woke <laughs> as Jade's wagon. <laughs> Uh, my van is stormy. I have a Euro van. He has a van again. So his is a little bit older. Uh, mine's an early nineties. Um, and yeah, her name is stormy. Stormy. Yeah. Cause like she stormy c- Daniel. <laughs> no, but that's funny. <laughs> no, You're like, mine she, was like a never thing heard first. that one before. <laughs> mine was a thing before she before screwed she... the president. Yeah. Um, uh, no, uh, stormy because she is, white and has gray and black pinstripes and mm. sort of her shape has always reminded us of a stormtrooper. Mm. And when we first got her one of the, it was like October and we were so excited that I was like, we're going to the coast. Um, so we went out to the coast and it like rained the whole weekend and we had an absolute blast and she kept us safe through the storm. So we named her stormy. That's perfect. Nice. Yeah. Do you uh, have? Do you know what Jade's wagon smells like? <laughs> so I think <laughs> I know exactly what his wagon smell or what his van smells like. I think w- he might be asking what my van smells like oh. because that's one of my favorite games. Um, oh, <laughs> when when we're at say like a festival and we want to go smoke a bowl uh-huh. or sneak off and and do nefarious activities. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ask ourselves stupid questions like, Hey, come in here. What's my van smell like? (laughs) I get it now. (laughs) That's a fantastic question. That's a good pickup line. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, come here. What's my van smell like? It's pretty creepy unless you're doing it to someone like Jaden. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, on the realm of of serious questions, uh, David Vaughn Hayes Jr. is asking <laughs> if pee is stored in the balls. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> is there an inside joke on that too? Or There's you... not, although okay. I did see him post uh, something about this earlier today, so I'm <laughs> guessing that that's fresh in his mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm no scientist, <laughs> although I am on the weekends sometimes. Um but to my understanding, pee is not stored in the balls. Um, they would get huge. Like could you, you imagine? You on a road trip that and you're like, horrible. my balls are going to explode. Just inhale. That would be horrible. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, I don't quite get the joke, but it makes me laugh to consider. <laughs> and that Some would flavor on that. Yeah, isn't that great? That's tangy. So. Tangerine. You can taste the tangerine in there Very for much sure. orange terps. <coughs> yeah, she's not used to dabbing. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it gets you. It gets you a little more intense than uh, other forms. And it, like I said, it's it's <laughs> uh, it's really high. It's really high in terpene too, terpene content. So that can sometimes, uh, you know, irritate the throat a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Yeah, it just th- feels a little scrapey. Yeah, it it feels like warmer in your throat. Yeah, yeah, than a normal hit. Um, 
So a, Kayla a, a cookie wants help. to know. Yeah, yeah, we got some cookies and some <laughs> off-brand M&Ms there. Ooh. <laughs> so. They're both gluten-free and dairy-free, so have very low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> In our world, they're fucking delicious. But we, got, we, got, we got some lollipops over there, I think, too, if you want a lollipop. Uh, the studio's stock. Uh, <laughs> how are babies born? Born? Who, who's yeah. asking that one? Kayla. Kayla, I would like to know. How are babies born? Again, someone thinks you're a scientist, obviously, because that's high level. Stuff. I've never born a baby, <laughs> so I'm not an expert on this. Um, I mean, you can pass if you really want. No, what if I you mean, got a good answer. I've seen some cartoons where like a a stork will drop off a oh, baby yeah. that's freshly born. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful answer. Um, so you know, not being a father myself. And not being a mother myself, <laughs> I got to assume that that's how it's done. The stork. Well, you can decide to answer this question or not. It's from me. Are you planning on having a child someday? We didn't so. wait. We didn't give him a safe word. Oh yes. Yeah, we usually ask people at the beginning if they if they have a safe word and they, they can use it if we get to a question that you don't feel comfortable. <laughs> so first, give us your safe word. Oh man, um, my safe word is cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. I knew it was going to be a food. It's, I it's, knew it. It's always a Almost food, always except a food. for like one other time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. Okay. So, so now you can ask your question. Yeah. Now you now you know what could be your response. Are you planning on having a child in the in the future? Um, I love the idea of having a family. I don't know that I'm planning it. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that, like, biologically, when it happens, awesome. Yeah. You know, my wife and I are in a loving, committed relationship and we would be stoked to have a kid, but it's also not like a super high priority because we're both trying to do our mm-hmm. things at the same time. Um, but yeah, we definitely want to have a family, What it, whether that looks like yeah, having a bunch of kids, a bunch of animals, adopting, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but we're not really in any rush to get there. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful answer. Are you running for president for 2020? <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. I don't want that job. <laughs> yeah, right? Fuck job that job. sucks. Uh, no, I just ask because we're in the planning phase. We're in the doing it phase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we've been practicing a lot. Yeah, Uh-oh, we just gave away perfect. the secret. <laughs> What? Sorry, there's no stork. Yeah, there's no stork. You have sex. <laughs> <laughs> baby comes out of the vagina. You have sex, and then uh, you do a headstand, and maybe. <laughs> Speaking of stamps, tramp stamps. Uh, I'm just kidding. There's not. I was just trying to segue out of nothing. It's <laughs> a terrible segue. <laughs> well, Jade asks when it's appropriate to triple stamp a double stamp. Never. Okay. What does you that can't, mean? Never. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. <laughs> I don't know. You want to break that down a little bit? Can you bit? explain? <laughs> Do you work at that poke bar where I get my card stamped? Have you ever seen Dumb and Dumber? Yeah, but like a long time ago. Whenever it came out. It's from Dumb and Dumber. Oh. Like, it's just us being dumb and dumber. <laughs> but it's a line from the movie where they're just going back and forth bickering. And Which? he's like, uh-uh, Lloyd, uh-uh, uh-uh. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Which character do you more identify with and which one's Jade? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I think I'm easily Lloyd Christmas mm-hmm. and he's Harry. I see it. Yeah. I get the vibe. I could see how the two of you could. Uh, plus like my bangs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're banging. 
the last question that we have, which is the actual only real question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're all valid, valid questions. From Mr. J. Katz himself. Of course. Oh. If, you could go, if you could go back five years and tell former Will something, what would it be? So you'd have been 29? Yeah, five years. Yep. Mm-hmm. I did math. <laughs> Fuck, what would I tell myself? Um, Don't take the blue pill. <laughs> no, take two. <laughs> um, honestly, like, the last five years have been really, really good for me and really, really productive. And five years ago, I was sort of like just at the beginning of the journey that I'm currently on. And so I think if I had to tell myself something, it would be just like, just keep going. Like you're, you're right at the trailhead, like just charge up that path. That's what I would tell myself. Beautiful. Wow. One question I like to ask most people, if you could put a billboard up, in a very prominent place in Seattle that every day people are on their way to work and they just see that they're sitting there pissed off in traffic and they look up and they see it. What would you write on it? Leafly. <laughs> no. no. Just kidding. I was going to say Leafly with a picture of your face just with red eyes smoking a joint. <laughs> that would kidding. never fly. Um, hmm. I would probably put... Man, I'm trying to think like where it would be because that might mm. craft my message. So maybe know? even think less of just like downtown Seattle, but just like a place that just like millions of people drive by every day. It doesn't have to be location specific. It's kind of almost your way of saying like if you carried around a billboard on your chest every day. Your mantra. You know, you know what? I, I wouldn't say this is like my mantra, but like currently my like rallying cry especially when it comes i like that rallying cry that's the same thing as a mantra you're just doing it louder sort of although i'd say like a, a mantra is like something that's more long-term and ingrained whereas a rallying cry might just be like for a short burst mm -hmm. um and so like in the cannabis space right now my mantra is sort of like free thc and I mean that in a lot of ways, um, like CBD is getting a lot of attention and rightfully so. And we're seeing a lot of great movement and, you know, the ability to access CBD nationwide and globally. And like I said, that's fantastic. And we want to introduce people to cannabis that way. Um, but as someone who really, really appreciates full spectrum cannabis and THC specifically, and think that it in and of itself holds a whole lot of great potential that is maybe being suppressed just a little bit because there's so much attention on CBD. I would like people to then, you know, take the next step and, and free THC the same way that we're freeing CBD yeah. a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. Does that mean you're going to give away a bunch of free weed? I mean, <laughs> it would be a great campaign, right? Like Dream. everyone would get behind it. Yeah. You just walk out with like dime bags or something. Just like, yo, free weed. I mean, there's enough of it like that. Okay. So I guess that's a good question. Is there just a massive surplus of weed and what the fuck happens to the weed after it's passed? I'm sure they have some sort of like time regulations now of how long you can hold the flower in the store. 
Um, so there's not a whole lot of regulation about shelf life, to my knowledge. Hmm. Um, Do you think a product can last? Because, like, I had some weed in a Harborside jar from college <laughs> that was, like, the most beautiful nug I've ever seen in my entire life. It was dark purple covered in white and orange hairs like it was like i'd never seen if, anything if like it's it. packaged well and stored well and was dried well originally if we're talking about like flour yeah. then yeah cannabis can <laughs> cannabis so, can be stored i won't say indefinitely but like almost indefinitely i thought so it, so sh- if so you I, think I if you think it- about like your dried herbs that you mm-hmm. cook with like oregano anything like that like yeah true i mean does it go bad no is it quite the same maybe huh. not a little but bit like, of the freshness might not yeah, be there and but you could still, still consume it safely mm-hmm. yeah. like it's not gonna hurt you Mm-mm. um what happens with cannabis is um the thc converts to cbn which cbn is one of the cannabinoids that really makes you tired and lethargic mm. and that's why like if you've ever smoked old weed um it makes you really lethargic or if you've ever like scraped a bowl of resin that's almost what I want to assume is almost all CBN because mm-hmm. it's what's left behind after you've converted your THC. And so that's why resin and those mm-hmm. old cannabis buds make you super sleepy and lazy. That's hilarious. So I gave it to her daughter and they all smoked it and they were like big joking the whole teenagers. time in a big circle being like, my grandpappy grew this weed and we're just making this is jokes. George Washington's Because <laughs> it was weed. so old. Yeah, every, <laughs> was, every person that smoked it like had this moment. It of, was like seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> but it was stored in a glass jar with a suction top in uh, a big like old game case. And you gave that away. No, what? You gave it away. That could have been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, eh, it's pretty old. You can have it. And I was like, what? Yeah, I gave it away. <laughs> Some good weed, I guess. <laughs> it was good weed when we smoked it. But then I stored it in like a big box where no light got in. It was kept in a cool area. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, There's I don't. No reason. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. They were like, it worked. Well, so. yeah. They probably just got really tired. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing you really have to worry about is like if it wasn't dried well and there was still some moisture in there Mold. or if it got exposed the environment it was in changed or had condensation or whatever. Um, but otherwise, like if it's in a cool, dry place stored in an airtight glass container, like nice. you're pretty, pretty well set. Nice. I don't remember why I asked that question anymore. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, all the, all the surplus. Yeah. Yes. Surplus. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because places like Oregon right now have a crazy surplus of weed. Um, and it's like, what do you do with it? We can't like ship it to other States cause that's not legal. Um, so one thing that a lot of people are doing are extracting more and more of it because even though flour doesn't go bad, it does take up more space Mm -hmm. and it's more difficult. You have to keep it in a, a, you know, if it, if it goes outside of those, uh, storing parameters, it, can go bad so like you just need more space and you have to keep an eye on it so what a lot of people will do is extract it and it's to concentrate it and then store that concentrate until they can actually sell it and it's a cheap product that you can make so easily right now and you can just do lots of it and hold on to it so it's like an investment into your long-term business plan sort of i mean the reality is people don't really want like 
you want fresh cannabis, sure. whether it's oil or flour or whatever. I guess. So do you think in oils, the potentially, I know you don't know the for sure answer, but that the, uh, the THCA will start to break down into, um, what is it? CBG or no CBN. Will that, will that probably break down faster? I feel like it would break down less fast in oil potentially because it's not like with all the other elements in a piece of, uh, I guess we'll say carbon of like plant-based carbon that can mm-hmm. disintegrate over time. Yeah. Which is like an oil that's like, I'm not sure if it's composition like affects it's like half-life or whatever, but, okay. um, it could, I think it's mostly just, um, like worst case, like say, say you were to extract a bunch of cannabis and it was slowly starting to convert. I think, I think you'd be more likely to just isolate, you know, the THC or the CBD, whatever you extracted for. And then you'd just have an isolated compound. You wouldn't have that complex concentrator, that hash, mm. but you would have, you know, the isolated molecule, which is where a lot of the value is. So could things get to be where people are literally engineering a specific strain and calling it a strain because they've added a bunch of different specific. Yeah. That's, that's the next, that's the next phase. It's like CRISPR for weed. It's, it's like, um, yeah. uh, You know, mixology, but for on like a molecular level on, on a chemical level to just like mix in and you could the like pat- right amount of cannabinoids and terpenes that you want to either recreate a flower or to create a specific experience or a specific flavor. Oh my God. You have me so intrigued. It's, I mean, the potential is, you know, you could like patent mind blowing or like trademark your specific brand of your creation of the, like your recipe. Wow. It's pretty nuts to think about. And I mean, we're isolating all of the different comp or not all, but we've been isolating a number of the compounds in cannabis. And the cannabis, scientists so. are going to do it more, which gets us to a point not to get weird with it, but like the fact that we get now have um, fentanyl and we have like, whatever it is, something fentanyl that's, yeah, that's the like derivative a, a of million fentanyl. times stronger. And so it's the, disgusting. The reason I, yeah, fuck that. But the reason I say it is because when you get the science behind it, you can break things down to a molecular level, like LSD's creation or MDMA's creation of like, you're breaking down chemicals to like create something. So I think that can be cool when you have the medicine and the science and the, like the fucking geniuses, like you and I are more, content type people but there are scientists that like geek the fuck out oh, of yeah. that kind of stuff and so i think that is cool that we're getting into that medical space and there is research to be able to be done on it because i think that's where that's going to happen is in some sort of a lab that you have people who are like crafting these different cocktails yeah and who knows what you know all these minor compounds that like only show up in very trace amounts who knows what their potential is because so much of it is thc and cbd and some of the major terpenes or if one of them cures cancer yeah or or (laughs) yeah has any major medical potential for all we know you need you know a certain volume of it within the plant or within an extract for it to be effective but because it's only showing up in very very trace amounts we just haven't gotten a mass of it enough to even be able to study what it could do. And so like, like that's so weird that it's like, it's like looking in, you know, parts of the ocean that we've never explored before. Yeah. 
Because you have no idea. No idea. Yeah, we got, I'm just going to go all over the place now that I'm stoned as fuck. <laughs> uh, we just did our genetic testing. So oh, like the 23 and yeah. me. And so she did hers and she's pretty much 100% Italian and I am 100% European. And I know it's probably pretty obvious, but like <laughs> it was interesting because I was like 62% British and like this percent this and like 0.2% Native American. And so like it just got me on that idea of like genes about like. I don't know. Yeah. Complex systems. Yeah. And they're sequencing. And we're you know, just learning about the, them. They're sequencing cannabis DNA to understand how much actual variety in the genetics of cannabis there are. Because, you know, uh, cannabis is such a diverse plant because it's been clandestine for so long. Um, we've only used like selective breeding techniques. We haven't used any of the advanced breeding techniques that have come about in the last hundred years because we're just now having those opportunities. So like being able to understand, you know, is there actually 850 varieties of cannabis or is there 700 or is there 7 million? Like, the the possibilities are so wide open that like it's just cool to think about it really is like getting into apples is like a, a weird way to think of it but i work with apples all the time it's my life right now and so <clears throat> you have different varieties of apples and apparently i don't know how true the story is i think it's the story is total bullshit but like johnny appleseed is just the story of going across the entire united states planting apple trees everywhere and apparently apples were like our currency yeah like we like you would have an orchard so that you could make hard cider and that hard cider would pay your rent because everyone drank hard cider because they couldn't drink water for fear of getting sick so they needed small alcohol contents so then like uh, juice, fermented juice was their way of, you know, alcohol to kill off everything. Um, but the point was that you've got all these different varieties because then certain strains interbreed without humans doing anything. And right. just suddenly there's different strains. And so, like, I don't remember which strain it is, but one of the most popular strains of all time was, like, right now commercially grown, was, like, found... Uh, somewhere in a field. It was like this super old tree that was growing in a field and they've never found a tree ever like it. And it's the only one that ever exists because apples, the way they work is the seeds inside. If you have a Granny Smith apple and you take that seed and you plant it, you're not going to get a Granny, granny Smith. Mm -hmm. Like just every seed is different in Crazy. these apples for some reason. So the way they have all these, they graft them. So you've got a tree that right. has all these grafting techniques and each one has, you can have different apples. They have trees that like jokingly are like 25 to 50 different varieties of apple on one big tree. <laughs> we had five on, on, on ours. Each of ours oh, had five different ones. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. So that was at an old house. Nice. Yeah. That's really cool. But yeah, so uh, the fact that the seeds just drop. And so if this seed migrated in a bird or just like in the wind and somehow got to this field and somehow grew and is just the only one that's ever existed. just That's so wild. And I always tell people that that like because cannabis has been suppressed and because it's been, you know, only reserved to garages and closets for so long mm -hmm. and and, you know, backwoods. Uh, farms that like where where like bees and birds and all these other creatures would be pollinating um, cannabis and spreading it uh, humans oh, have served yeah. that role we are the bees to cannabis and cannabis has evolved to attract humans 
and humans are now so attracted to cannabis that we're now manipulating it and and investigating it at a molecular and a cellular level like that's fucking mind-blowing that that was literally my next question (laughs) that is the greatest thing ever so babe the way i kind of like have thought about it in a much different timeline but is ayahuasca so ayahuasca, you know what ayahuasca is, yeah. right? So ayahuasca, we were talking about Peruvians, like ayahuasca is kind of their sacred plant. And so what it is, is thousands of years ago before science ever existed, any inclination of science, which is only a few hundred years old, or like 200 years old or some shit, the actual idea of science. Anyway, they found the highest concentration of DMT in the natural known world in a root. They found a separate plant that also grows in the jungle out of millions of plants that grow in the jungle. And they found that if they take those two plants together, crush them up and brew them into a tea, that it sends them on a psychedelic journey beyond anything else in the world. Like, and their claim is the plant spoke to us. Yeah. And so like, it's really easy in a science based world to say that isn't, a reality because we don't understand it but it's just we don't understand it yet so i'm not necessarily saying we can talk to plants but i know a lot of fucking people who swear that talking to their plants helps them grow faster and they've done like legitimate science studies about playing music to plants and plants oh, will grow. i just saw i just saw one of my friends who has you know a, a third grader or whatever they just posted literally their kid doing a science experiment mm-hmm. where she she only said nice things to one plant. She didn't say anything to one plant and she said negative things to another plant Mm -hmm. and the negative plant was almost dead. Mm -hmm. Like, and they were literally sitting in the same windowsill in the same containers from the same original plants or seeds, you know, like same environment, like Uh just different um, amount of compassion essentially mm-hmm. and and energy framing and energy yeah. whatever that is we don't we we don't understand energy we call things dark energy because we don't understand them but yeah it's just crazy to think about the fact that there's some sort of communication that has happened with us and plants and the fact that they have found a way to get us to smoke them for as long as a lot of people know, because there's a lot of dating back to marijuana as being an important thing in many different cultures, and it, it found us, and then we made it illegal, and it was like, nah, motherfucker, we're getting there. <laughs> it was here before us. It'll be here after us, too. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. Um, like One thing... One thing uh, me and my wife always like geek out about is like when we're eating like a really juicy you know, tangerine or nectarine or something. And you're like, could you imagine being the first person that that just like came across this fruit or this tree (laughs) and you were so famished or thirsty or whatever. And you're just like, what is this? Let's see. And you bit into it. And it was something like as juicy as like a peach. Like, could you imagine like how mind blowing that kind would be. Kind of, because I remember the first time I encountered avocado and I yeah. was like, how the fuck did I not know this was a thing? What? Like, it wasn't like I grew up and I was like, hey, that's green, that's weird. I had literally never seen She's one. She's Italian. Yeah. And then the first time I had it, my mind, and I was like an adult. I'm talking like, this was like my early 20s, that's which hilarious. was like 20 years ago. But still, the I had it and I was like, where did these come from? People are like California. California. I was like, what? 
They, it blew my mind. So I kind of get it. Like, I definitely felt like I was the first person to ever have an avocado. <laughs> so, carry on. So, have you ever looked into mushrooms at all? Yeah, a little okay. bit. Not the psychedelic ones. Like. Well, I mean, yeah, well, yeah just all, oh. also the psychedelic oh, okay. ones. Mycology in general. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I don't know a lot about it, but I'm super interested in that whole space. Were you at APOG? Yeah. Were you at his uh, mushroom talk? I wasn't. Uh-uh. Oh, Bummer. man. Where were you, so dude? Good. I don't remember. I think they were at Flow State. I think it was Yeah, because we, yeah. kind of, we, yeah, we kind of... Yeah, yeah we saw you guys for like 10 minutes yeah. before you headed there. Yeah, I went and did a mushroom course in Oregon, and it was like a 10-day course, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. It was amazing. I can't recommend it enough. Um, but... Uh, so I did that, and then at APOG, my contribution other than my DJ set was that I gave an hour-long mushroom talk. Just gave him a basic rundown of mushrooms, uh, similar to what you would do about marijuana. Mm-hmm. Just like the same process, structure, breakdown. We had a whiteboard, and we had some visual aids. It was and, good. It was and, and, good added in stuff like, and added in stuff like people think mushrooms came from space and cultivated us. <laughs> similar to how we were talking about marijuana, like it cultivates you. Um, and then we took a walk around, and I showed them like different mushrooms in the wild. There weren't a lot, but we were able to find some. We did for sure. find some cool ones. It was it was really late in the season. Yeah, I was gonna say it's dead of summer. Yeah, yeah. we um, were shocked actually. There was yeah, some, it was down in the Crystal Grove. Where I was, you guys yeah, played. I was gonna say in the northwest we, we got back, some some we peeled back damp some bark and there nooks and crannies. Yeah, really cool stuff. So I went and did that and basically learned how to grow mushrooms and from all tons of different stages, from sporing stages, from like taking actual like germination amounts of them and adding them to other ones like individual spore um, like manipulation and growth and did a lot of cool stuff and stuff out in the wild yeah and a lot of forestry yeah Yeah. how to plant them like we literally took trees and like drilled out holes in them and plugged them with mushrooms so they could grow into the tree and like you would have a mushroom tree that spores regularly that that you can just break mushrooms off of like really cool shit's bonkers but yeah and like the fungus is like purpose within our ecosystem is so just it's another one of those mind-boggling things that you don't even think about until someone like sort of gives you that aha moment and breaks it down just a little bit because i don't know a whole lot about it but i do know a bunch of cannabis farmers who are really into like living soil and just sort of uh, maintaining a healthy ecosystem in general and like feeding the ecosystem rather than feeding the plant, like letting the ecosystem mm-hmm. feed the plant and letting mm-hmm. the plant knows what it needs. So it's going to draw out what it needs. So just providing that environment and um, beneficial fungus is like crucial to that whole process. So it's, it's literally mother nature yelling at us to stop killing it. Because if you really think about it, there are, there are plants that we have cultivated to the maximum. We have cultivated corn, we have soy, wheat. All of those things are terrible for the human body, right? They have very little nutritional value. We feed it to animals. It's just like garbage crop, but we have cultivated as much as possible. Yeah, it's to feed as many people Mm -hmm. as possible. And then you have nature hucking ayahuasca mushrooms and weed at you saying hey here are these plants not only do they make you hallucinate which is really fun and cool (laughs) it also makes you realize who you are as a person and helps you relate better with other individuals and become the person you know you should be like 
it does. Yeah, all. and they all provide an element of connection, like to mm-hmm. to everything around you. And which... each one of them has the people that cultivate it screaming, "Stop! We need to do less of this. We need to use these things to fix what's going on in our environment." Because you literally have the point that mushrooms apparently can pull out like radiation out of the ground. Like there are mushrooms growing in Chernobyl. Can- cannabis hemp um, pulls pulls from the ground. It it will actually pull out heavy metals. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> why we have heavy metal testing yep. uh, in cannabis. And yeah, same thing. They planted hemp in Chernobyl trying to help eradicate a lot of the radioactive waste in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's... It's crazy, man. Nature's crazy. I know. And it's just <laughs> screaming at us, like, here are the ways to to fix it. Like, cultivate this shit, not garbage corn. And I think people are waking up. I think people are figuring it out. I think... Well, and that's, like, a that's like probably my ultimate fear when it comes to cannabis is, like, you know, capitalism's going to do what capitalism's going to do. And, um, you know, monocultures in general are just like the worst possible way to farm anything. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's really valuable that we look to the people who are, who understand their impact on, you know, the land they're farming or, or the city they're operating in and they're finding ways to, you know, build sustainability into it or, or at least figure out ways to offset anything that they're doing because like cannabis is one of those tools that's telling us like, don't do that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. And here we are, we're going to take it and we're, we're going to do that with it. So like, that's like, like probably the biggest fear with legal cannabis is that it becomes a bigger nuisance than it's able to save. Like if it's, if it can do so much good, can it do that much good for itself? Or are we just going to totally brutalize it? Yeah, probably. I mean, humankind's (laughs) track record isn't so great. It's pretty awful. Yeah. That always makes me curious. Like, uh, capitalism is what drives our world and allows us to, you and I would not be sitting right here talking on a podcast that is over the internet that I'm going to stream free to a bunch of people. <laughs> like you just wouldn't have that without capitalism. And we need that and to, to have the things we want. We don't need it, but to have the life we live and to continue on, we need it. Um, and so it's trying to figure out ways to, and not not let it happen, but learn how to affect it in a positive manner because it's gonna happen. Totally, and I think that like the biggest advantage that cannabis has is that it it's not an old industry. It's not like we don't have to retroactively go back and try to fix a bunch of mistakes we've made in the past. Like mm-hmm. we can establish good practices and uh, you know build towards that future starting now, and like we have a head start on that, but, uh, there's so much opportunity and so much money to be made that I think a lot of people are blind to that. Do you feel like you're at the forefront of that? What do you mean? Working with Leafly and having a voice and wanting to ensure that things go in a way that works out well for the plant and us and doesn't 
destroy it like you were talking about? Um, I mean, I definitely think I tried to use the platform that Leafly's given me to to share my ethos and my ethics and my views towards what cannabis can and should be. Um, not saying that I'm right and that I know all in that regard. In fact, I know next to nothing and I want to learn more. Um, that's the key. You want to learn more. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I can't get enough of the plant. I can't like, I can't read enough about it. I can't understand it more. Like, like I come home from work and I continue to engage with the plant and the product or the content I'm creating about it. Like it's something I have a really hard time turning off. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely see the role I've carved out for myself. You know, it's given me the platform to, to share a lot of that. And I think that's, that's sort of been my, um, larger calling is to sort of be a voice and to help champion what cannabis really like the, the potential that I see in it and, and share that with others, hoping that they see that as well. Um, and I mean, I don't think, I don't think I'm so impactful that I can just evoke change like that, you know, but I think I can be a voice in the conversation. And while people are running a million miles an hour and trying to establish, you know, legitimate businesses and, and, you know, leverage capitalism to, to get the places that they want to go. I can hopefully at least be, you know, that, that person tapping into the conversation and just saying like, Hey guys, don't, don't forget about that. Or don't forget about where we came from, or don't forget about how this happened last time and things weren't great and we should learn from those mistakes rather than just repeat them. Um, so I would like to think that like I have an impactful voice in that conversation. Um, I think there's still more I can do to, to increase that though. Maybe it's some of my projecting in that question then, because I feel like you are and you are doing a fantastic job. So oh, that's the, keep I that appreciate up. that. Yeah. I God. mean, I'm my toughest critic too. So like, I just try to keep my head down and like keep doing what, what feels right and what I know is right. And if, if that resonates with other people, then like, fuck yeah, that's the ultimate gratification. Um, and if it doesn't, then I'm just going to keep grinding, put my head down and, and try to reach the next person. Yeah. I think that humility is great. Um, so with that kind of a question, I'm going to ask you then, are there any voices that you agree with that you think could possibly make those kind of changes that you were saying you can't make quite yet or whatnot that you really look up to that you think other people should be listening to? Cause we live in this culture where it's like social media is everything. Everyone has somebody that has some sort of a platform and they're trying to champion for something because some people are on the legalized marijuana front. Some people are on the, you know, legalize CBD and make it whatever. So are there people in the industry that you are like, you should listen to these people. They know what they're talking about. Um, yeah, there's so many bright minds in cannabis. Like there really is. It's almost hard to just come up with one or two. It, it sort of depends on what, what area we're talking about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's hard as far as like actually, 
making real change. Like I understand the world we live in and that, that ultimately takes money and resources. Um, so sometimes a voice isn't, isn't enough. Um, and so really the people who are, are making waves are the ones who are finding a way to not only share their voice, but, but rally the troops behind them so that they have appropriate resources to make change and to, um, lead by example in a lot of ways. Um, one person who like, honestly, isn't so much like a voice to me, but more a figure of, um, doing, uh, recreational cannabis products the right way is Al Harrington, a former NBA player who owns Viola extracts. Mm -hmm. Um, they're in Colorado, Oregon, California. Um, and you know, Al's a personality. He's a NBA player. Um, but he's also like a huge advocate for the plant and he's a bright mind. Like he can speak intelligently about this, um, subject and he's just found a way to sort of bring, um, the right attitude, the right amount of resources and, um, the actual like culture behind a lot of, um, behind a lot of sort of what sparked all this and the, the counterculture and sort of, um, you know, his is obviously mixed with a little bit more of like the, the basketball and streetwear style culture, but like, that's an element of cannabis culture and cannabis is an element of that culture. And so like, he's just found a way to sort of tie all these things together. And I think people like him that are, are multifaceted in that regard, um, are the most impactful, but I think we have a whole lot of people that are also focusing, um, you know, on just specific, very specific lanes and they're really pushing our understanding of that. And one person is, uh, Dr. Ethan Russo, who like is really breaking cannabis down and studying it, um, on a whole nother level and looking into critical aspects like pesticides and the effects and how we can appropriately test and sort of the public health and safety and, and what cannabis is actually doing, um, once, once we consume it. So I think, you know, there's sort of both ends of the spectrum there with, with someone who's maybe super, super science and, and medically driven as well as, as someone who's, um, pulling resources and, and bringing the culture along with them. Nice. You brought up one sports person, so I'm going to ask you if you know about another one, Mike Tyson. I do. Yeah, yeah. with Tyson Ranch. Yeah. Just with him on, I just know because he was on the Rogan podcast, but yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, Mike's... Because that's the capitalistic, like, route, so I want to know your take on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, my whole thing is, like, cannabis is for everyone. So, like, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people are attracted to the noise that the industry is making right now. Um, and that a lot of people have their own personal experiences with cannabis, whether it's in a, a part of their, their past or a part of their present or a part of their future even. But like, I, I struggle with, um, with a lot of, um, the sort of celebrity cannabis, aspects you see just because you know ultimately it comes down to the product like if you have a great product then like it doesn't really matter what 
your brand name is or what colors you use or any of that. Like all those things help and will make and take your product to the next level. But ultimately it has to be high quality and effective. Um, and so like in that regard, who I would, who I would tell you to look, look to as far as sort of like a, a, a sports or a known entity, um, in that world, that's also like really understanding the potential of cannabis and is also a very, very mindful person is Ricky Williams, um, former running back in the NFL. He's, um, he's deep into meditation. He's just a very heady guy. Um, and he understands the potential for full spectrum cannabis, both CBD and THC. Um, I had him on my podcast. It was a great episode. I feel like he's the type of person that you could talk to endlessly for hours just because he is so interesting and he's a really good, like he'll listen and you should actually, send us that episode. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will plug it right now. Really yeah, quick. for sure. Um, it's Leafly's what are you smoking podcast with Ricky Williams? I can't remember what episode number that was, but that well, was probably we'll go on and like, and subscribe and listen to all of them. But that, that one in yeah, particular definitely <laughs> yeah. do. Nice. And is that available on everything? Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can nice. find podcasts. Nice. Do you have any things coming up that we need to be at? Um, cheer you on. Let's see. I, if you're going to be in Austin in a couple weeks, I'll be at South by Southwest. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. It's my first South by, and I'm going to be doing a live podcast there. Yay! Um, so that's going to be really exciting. I I've really want to get into that. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm stoked. We did um, not a live one, but we did um, sort of a, a taped mm-hmm. episode recently um, in preparation for it, and that was kind of cool. And so I'm going to have a bunch of the Leafly team down there. Um, another colleague of mine, Nick Jacomas, is presenting, um, and he's uh, he's, he's an incredible mind in cannabis, honestly. Like, um, he is someone who's really looking at, um, how we verify lab data and how we leverage that to authenticate cannabis and to understand its effects and, and help consumers make informed decisions so that they can find the right products for them, for Mm -hmm. the situations that they're looking for, whether it's, you know, going up or going down or, or just balancing themselves out. Um, and so, yeah, Nick Jacomas, although he spends more time, I would say, behind the scenes in the data than he does necessarily like talking about a lot of it, he's presenting at South by and he'll have um, probably a lot more to share on sort of everything he's been working on. So that's going to be sweet. I'll keep an eye out for that sweet. for sure. Very cool. Very cool. Any music coming up? Um, music. I have a few. The problem is this is probably going to air till April. This is for me. You can cut oh. it out. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Well, I mean, I love you guys, but yeah. Well, if it's airing in April, then you got to come to the APOG release party. Yeah. Friday the 26th at Substation. We will always be plugging that. I yeah. Do and that you know, the APOG team is going to do something special. So yeah. I know they've got some tricks up their sleeves. It's going to be a really fun night. We've got an awesome lineup of DJs friend zones coming out to do a two hour set. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Good shit. I'm putting it in the calendar. right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, um, I think we're almost at three hours. Oh, cool. oh okay, damn. So. See, nobody's listening at this point. Anyway, uh, I hope they still are. <laughs> 
Well, to any of you who lasted this entire time, uh, thank you very much. And also, Will, thank you so much for making thank it out the chat. Thank you guys for having me. That yeah, fun. dude. That was, that was, I think, everything I wanted to, to get out of you in that awesome. respect. Yeah, that was so fun. Good. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. Please, um, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll get uh, become a big enough voice in the marijuana community that you want to have me on the Leafly podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just go work at Leafly. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make him pull that up. We're going to talk about that do here it. in a sec. For sure. Uh, all right, cool. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Peace. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Lift podcast with Jordan and Antonella. If you like our show and want to find more, check out our website at gravitylift.space. And when you get a sec, please rate and review us on iTunes to help us spread these vibes far and wide.